0: You are listening to Based in Fact, a true crime podcast. Join host Lisa O'Brien and Kyle Evans as they examine America's most infamous true crime cases as they were established in our courts and the basis for the decisions of the appeals courts not the court of public opinion. Here's Lisa and Kyle. Welcome to Season 2 of Based in Fact, a true crime podcast. I'm Lisa O'Brien, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kyle Evans. This is Episode 8, Oklahoma versus Richard Glossop Update. And we are starting part two. Kyle and I will continue our review of the case against Glossop, who was convicted of the 1997 murder for hire of his his boss, Barry Ventries. In part one, we talked generally about the case, including Glossop's first trial and direct appeal, his 2004 retrial, direct appeal, and his state and federal post-conviction claims. When we broke off, we were talking about the 2022 propaganda campaign being waged by his advocates in the media, and his 2022 state post-conviction claims. We'll pick up where we left off, including talking about the two writs currently pending at the U.S. Supreme Court. We'll also talk more about the result of the Oklahoma Attorney General's, quote, independent, unquote, investigation that we learned was directed by Reed Smith and by extension Don Knight. We'll also talk about the disposition of Glossop's 2023 state post-conviction application and the shenanigans involved in that process. Glossop's clemency hearing, and his challenge to that made in the Oklahoma County District Court, along with Glossop's second writ pending before the US Supreme Court. And good afternoon, Kyle, on this wonderful July 2nd.
1: Yeah, good afternoon, happy uh, pre-independence day.
0: (laughs) Happy pre-independence day. I do want to make a note and we are going to record a bonus episode Uh, on Wednesday, June 28th, the Texas court of criminal appeals denied the remanded claims in Rodney Reed's case. It dismissed remaining claims raised by him in his 2019 uh, dash 10 post-conviction writ. And it dismissed uh, the 2021 Dash 11 writ. Uh, again, Kyle and I will be recording a bonus episode to talk more in depth about the 129 page opinion uh, dismissing the dash 10 writ and the much more shortened to the point opinion dismissing the 11 writ. <laughs> and we'll be recording that tomorrow. And hopefully, I'll be putting it up on uh, either Monday night or, or Tuesday. Um, because we're off for July uh, 4th at my work. So I'll be sitting at home twiddling my thumbs, <laughs> um, much like I do at work all day anyway. <laughs> ah, just kidding.
1: Not shooting off some fireworks. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, I I don't do fireworks. And I'm kind of glad that I don't have a pet right now because it is traumatic for me dealing with the trauma my dog or my cat's experience during fireworks. Uh, And it's a little scary because I live near an area where sometimes it doesn't sound like fireworks. It sounds more like gunfire.
1: Right. Well, I don't think they do it as much on the 4th, but, you know, New Year's Eve with the gunfire in the air is Mm. always a little bit scary. Yeah.
0: So, all right, well, let's get back to Richard Glossop. And we had, we left off, we talked about uh, the AG's response uh, to Glossop's first, or rather no, his second state post-conviction writ. Um, and I'm just going to go ahead and and, you know, repeat that since we did that and we were kind of wrapping up. So basically, the response of the AG, and this would have been AG um, O'Connor, was that uh, Proposition 1, Glossop's Brady uh, versus Maryland claim was without merit, that it was built on a false premise, that the state did not dispre- suppress Mr. Sneed's desire to renege or to renegotiate his plea agreement, and that the evidence was not material. They argued that Proposition Two, petitioner's allegation that the prosecutor violated the rule of sequestration, is without merit. And again, because the rule of sequestration deals with witnesses being present in the courtroom during testimony and proceedings, right? When they have not yet testified.
1: Yeah. So you can't. You can't. A witness can't listen to other witnesses' testimony because they could potentially. But The rule of sequestration does not
0: prevent one party's attorney from talking about their own witnesses' testimonies with those witnesses. Um, And also, I think that the allegation that the prosecutor violated the rule is also without merit because the evidence presented by Glossop is that Connie Smotherman wrote a memo to Gina Walker Sneed's attorney. And Gina Walker talked to Sneed and made notes on that memo and presumably returned them to Smotherman, although that's not really clear. So in the end, if Sneed's testimony was influenced, it wasn't influenced directly by Smotherman with Sneed. Right. It, was, it would have been influenced based on his conversation with his own attorney. Exactly. So... Um, then Proposition Three, that uh, the allegation that the state knowingly presented false testimony was also without merit, and uh, I I actually don't remember what the alleged false testimony was, um, and I should have I, I should have reviewed that before uh, today, my apologies. Uh, then also P- petitioner Brady claim regarding the knife was without merit. Uh, and the cumulative error claim was also without merit because what what Don Knight does is he, is he takes multiple claims that have been raised and rejected, and he throws them into these new petitions and says, "Well, see, you know, this is this is these are all errors, even though the court has already said no, they're not." So. Uh, and then on October 16th, this was filed on the 10th. On the 16th, Reed Smith generates a fourth supplemental report. They consulted with an attorney to evaluate the DA memos and materials and alleged, based on speculative arguments, that the DA violated ethical and legal duties during Glossop's second trial. Well, you know, the your paid expert gave you the opinion you wanted to hear. And that's really what it boils down to. Right. This isn't somebody that was just given these materials blind and says, what do you think? It was somebody who was said, okay, we're looking at this case. The guy is innocent. We know he's innocent. We've proven he's innocent. Uh, but, you know, we just haven't met the bar in the, um, in the constitutional violation arena. So we need a constitutional violation to move this across the finish line. And so, Of course, their expert gives them the uh, opinion they want to hear. On the 19th of October, in the lethal injection case, the Tenth Circuit affirmed the district court's dismissal on summary judgment of the um, Eighth Amendment challenge to the use of midazolam in lethal injection protocol. Uh, The deadline to seek review at the U.S. Supreme Court of that decision was uh, January 9th, twenty twenty three. Uh now this, the lethal injection claim was not being handled by Don Knight. It was being handled by other attorneys on behalf of Glossop and multiple other inmates.
1: Now, why was not? Oh, because that was a, a multiple. I was like, why wasn't Knight? It was multiple other goes...
0: inmates, and um, I I don't know exactly why Knight would not have also handled the lethal injection challenge um, perhaps uh, because the attorneys on the lethal injection challenge could not handle the post-conviction claims
1: got it that makes sense
0: and so they were kind of not trying not to they were trying to split fronts, more or less gotcha uh, and then on November 2nd 2022 uh, Governor Kevin Stitt issued executive order 2022-29 in which he granted glossop a second 60-day stay of execution uh effective November 21st 2022 because his date his execution date had been uh delayed or stayed from September 22nd to December I believe it was 8th. And so that granted this second uh, stay on for November, effective November 21st, staying the December execution date and resetting it for February 16th, 2023. And that would allow the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals to address all the pending legal proceedings. Ironically, (laughs) the Court of Criminal Appeals didn't need that much time. Because on the 10th of November, the Court of Criminal Appeals issued its opinion, um, basically denying Glossop's first state post-conviction claim filed in 2022. That's PCD 2022-589. Um, they found that their standard overview, of course, is limited by Oklahoma Post-Conviction Procedures Act which is not designed to provide repeated appeal of issues raised and rejected, which is Don Knight's main agenda or main MO.
1: Because at the Um, end of the day, you just can't keep re-adjudicating the same thing over and over into perpetuity, which is what they're trying um, to do. You know,
0: they dress it up and they say they've got new evidence, but the new evidence isn't any better or stronger than the original evidence that they presented. So, you know, that's why they, um, they keep presenting the same claims and they keep, you know, claiming they've got new evidence or they got better evidence or whatever. But in the end, it doesn't meet the bar that Glossop has to meet. And that's right. something, too, that I think um, the general public is confused about. They think if Glossop files this post-conviction application, the state is supposed to say, OK, just give him a new trial. Right. And that's not how it works. And it's not how it works in a state. And the state isn't doing anything wrong by opposing his post-conviction applications. He has the burden of proof.
1: Yep. Not it's the just state. practical, the state doesn't right? Have to keep proving him guilty. Exactly. The courts, I mean, the courts are clogged enough, but if people you're, just you're think, fading. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes. Yes. It's like, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you know, the courts are already clogged but if people could just continue to readjudicate every single trial into perpetuity justice would be denied for everybody at some mm-hmm. point you just have to let the system work yeah
0: so um they uh cited and once again i just kind of i just want to kind of sketch out you know their review is limited to errors which would have changed the outcome and claims of factual innocence um that they the Glossop must support his factual innocence claims by clear and convincing evidence, which must be more than that which merely tends to discredit or impeach a witness without the probability that the outcome would be different. And that the court weighs the evidence presented by Glossop against evidence, the evidence as a whole in a light most favorable to the state to determine whether Glossop has met his burden. Um, they found on Glossop's factual innocence claims that his affidavits do not provide the clear and convincing evidence uh, he would like the court to believe. There's no evidence that Sneed ever thought ever sought to recant his testimony in any meaningful way. Glossop is raising a theory of defense that has been his claim from the beginning. I think that was the robbery gone wrong claim. Uh, the evidence provided by Sneed was sufficiently corroborated by compelling compelling evidence including Glossop's web of deceit and deception while authorities were trying to find Barry Vantries. Glossop's guilt Um, was proven beyond a reasonable doubt before a jury of his peers, and nothing in his current application causes the court to contradict the jury's verdict. Glossop's application fails to meet his burden of showing clear and convincing evidence that he is factually innocent and this propaganda is denied. And my apologies if you were trying to interject a comment. No,
1: I mean, I think I just I mean, we say all the time, I mean you can tell with a lot of these people, if they're innocent, they're not lying and changing their stories, you know, right after the murder, you know, if somebody is genuinely innocent. They don't keep, you know, obfuscating from the police. Mm-hmm. I and mean, that's one of the things that's always, to me, a good sign that somebody's guilty. Because why would they just not be completely open and honest from day one if they have nothing to hide?
0: Yeah, definitely. I I, I totally agree. And, you know, I mean, in if Richard Glossop were really innocent, even if he didn't tell the employees the lies he told them about seeing Barry and Barry going for breakfast and buy construction supplies. Um, Even if he didn't tell him anything, he wouldn't have opened his mouth. And then when the car was found and the police became involved, Glossop would have said, Hey, come here. Justin Taylor, the maintenance man that's been living here in exchange for fixing stuff that he doesn't really fix
1: yeah exactly he came
0: to me at five o'clock this morning and said he killed barry van treese and he's in room 102 <laughs>
1: exactly yeah he has no yeah. reason to lie he, it's like
0: he would not have helped cover up the window no he would not have gone into the room and hung a shower curtain from the inside to keep people from being able to see into the room um you know he would not have again lied to the employees and said oh no i saw him he's leaving he wouldn't have lied to uh, i mean there Mm. are so many lies that he told and i think the problem is, is that a lot of these people a lot of glossops advocates are are because don knight has disputed some of these statements they are ignoring all of them
1: right but i don't think glossop doesn't even really dispute him does he
0: no, Glossop admitted at his clemency hearing that he lied to Donovan Trees. Yep. You know, he admitted to failing a polygraph. Exactly. You know, he, he admitted to these things, so um, even he doesn't. Uh, he didn't at one time. Now he's changing his story. Uh, and I think he's the source of a lot of these other stories. The stories about you know sneed's girlfriend which we'll get into, we you know kind of got into um fancy mercedes or sherry whatever mm-hmm. her name is <laughs> um you know this is all information that would have been known to gloffe at the time so why didn't he provide it to his attorneys exactly you know
1: yeah that, or innocent police. people behave a certain way and guilty people behave a certain way
0: correct and you know that's and saying I was scared, I'm I'm retarded, I didn't know, um, I'm stupid, I didn't know, I don't know how to handle things, because I don't have good cognitive abilities. That's all just, you know, wind addressing bullshit excuses that a jury probably would reject.
1: Yeah. Especially a jury uh,
0: observing Richard Glossop testifying, who does not seem to be mentally uh or emotionally challenged right? other than being a sociopath. So uh, as to the remaining issues, the court held that they could have been raised earlier with due diligence or were not raised within 60 days of discovery because um, Knight was was presenting affidavits from 2015, and he was presenting affidavits that he'd had since 2017, 2018, 2019. So Um, He should have presented those things a lot earlier, but Richard Glossop didn't have an execution date, so there was no need to file anything in his mind until there was an execution date that needed to be postponed and held off. Uh, They also found there was no miscarriage of justice. The destruction of evidence was known about before Glossop's second trial. Uh, Glossop had waived as an effective assistance of counsel claims because – it's based on their conduct, conduct for the second trial. They knew about the destruction, and so saying that they were ineffective now is too late. You should have said that in your first state post-conviction act. Uh, the due process claims were also known and waived, and Glossop's intellectual disability claims were not supported by clear and convincing evidence and could have been discovered with due diligence and are therefore waived. They also went on to rule that the Errors alleged by Glossop did not result in a miscarriage of justice. Their conclusion they denied Glossop's application, they denied his evidentiary and discovery, evidentiary hearing and discovery request, and they issued their mandate immediately upon delivery and filing of this decision. And that was done on November 10th, 2022. On the same date, uh, Knight issues a statement. And basically, he just continues playing to the court of public opinion, claiming that they have presented all this evidence that proves Glossop's innocence and the court is just not doing it right and demonstrating basically that he ignores the findings of the court in their opinion. And he expresses disbelief that they had the audacity to deny Glossop's application or reject his application. Um, so and I think there might have been some more court of public opinion uh statements by McDougal right. and the other idiot legislators, and you know, it's the same playing, they're playing to the court of public opinion, they're trying to convince the public that Glossop is an innocent man about to be executed.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and always... that's all it
0: is. They know they can't win in court, they know these claims don't work in court because they've tried them already. But they want the public, they want to try and rile the public up. And I think for Don Knight, if he can get the death penalty in Oklahoma, um, I'm, I can't believe it i abolished. Yeah, yeah. That's it. that was the word I was looking for. He's, <laughs> it's a win. But I think in order to abolish the death penalty, the voters of Oklahoma, the citizens of Oklahoma have to vote. And that's why they're playing to this court of public opinion.
1: Yeah, exactly. Because they
0: think they're going to fool enough people to eventually vote to abolish the death penalty in Oklahoma. Frankly, I think they're wrong. (laughs) Because from what I see, Glossop support is not coming out of very many people in Oklahoma, aside from some idiot legislators and from some, you know, hardcore anti-death penalty groups. I don't see a lot of citizen citizen support in Oklahoma.
1: Yeah, it's always the that's exactly what happens, right? It's always the um, outside influence that's seeking to change and manipulate.
0: And I have no doubt in my mind that our friends at Victims Innocence Project and and Jennifer Harmon and Amy Kingry and uh, several other Oklahoma uh, citizens who have. Engaged with me and and appeared on this podcast would be out there you know pounding the pavement and making sure that their court of public opinion claims uh, get zero uh credibility or have zero credibility right. with the citizens of arkansas of oklahoma my apologies
1: <laughs> <laughs> i want to say
0: arkansas for some reason but citizens of oklahoma so then seven days later after a week, the second state post-conviction writ, PCD 2022-819, uh, that opinion was issued by the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals. And once again, spoiler alert, they denied Glossop's claims. Um, their standard of review is the same as their prior opinion. Um, they are They found that Glossop raised similar claims on direct appeal and in his initial post-conviction application. So this time he's raising the same claims, but he's saying, oh, look, now I have new evidence. And I think this was related to Justin Sneed's testimony. Um, The court found the claims in the post-conviction application were barred by race judicata, which means they've been raised and rejected. You can't argue them again. Mm. Uh, in Proposition One, that the state withheld material evidence was procedurally barred and is based on speculation that Sneed lied. Glossop presented no evidence that Sneed had a desire to recant or change his testimony. Sneed's hesitance was known prior to the second trial. Birch gave Sneed case law telling him that the state could not revoke his plea if he refused to testify. Birch's actions were the subject of a court hearing on 11-3-2003, and Birch was removed as Glossop's lead attorney because of those actions. Um, And as an aside, Glossop wanted to fire Birch by that point. Glossop was not happy with Birch. And so when Birch said, I want to withdraw because he had put himself behind the eight ball, by visiting Sneed without anybody present to corroborate any claims he may have made about Sneed's statements to him, um, Glossop was more than happy to let him withdraw. And the attorneys that were working, the attorney that was working with Birch had been on the case during Glossop's direct appeal and had continuously represented Glossop up to that point. So Glossop wasn't stuck with new attorneys who knew nothing. He had an attorney who had worked on his direct appeal, which was successful from his first conviction. And he had um, a new attorney appointed. And he got a continuance because his trial did not begin in 2003 like it was supposed to. So the whole rigmarole with Birch, you know, got him a delay in
1: the summer
0: of 2004. Uh, they also found that the issues could have pre- been prevent- presented earlier, and the information presented did not qualify as Brady evidence. They found the information was not new, could have, could have, and should have been raised on direct appeal, so it was waived. Uh, they found that some of the infor- information was not material and would not have changed the outcome of the, of the trial. Uh, they cited the fact that the jury knew about Sneed's deal, that he was the actual killer, and that he was benefiting from testifying. They also found that the prosecutor told the court they had talked to Sneed about other testimony, so it isn't new evidence that um, they talked to Sneed about the medical examiner's testimony, and it could have been raised earlier and is thereby waived. Because I think there was a an on-the-record hearing in which uh, the the District Attorney told the judge, Yes, we talked to him about the medical examiner's testimony. Because I think during the medical examiner's testimony, Gary Ackley had questions right, and right. doubts about the medical examiner's testimony vis a vis Sneed's statements. So, you know, that was again uh, something that they, uh, they, that Glossop's counsel should have known about before 2022. Um, and uh, then they, they found claim, Glossop's claims raised in his Propositions 2, 3, and 4 had no merit. The allegation that the rule of sequestration was violated was not persuasive as the statute does not prevent either side from discussing testimony with their witnesses during trial. Um, and now you'll note uh, McDougal has said they violated the rule of sequestration post this opinion, even though the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals has said, no, they did not. So what puts McDougal, what makes him the legal expert to refute the finding of the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals? And I would like for him to answer that question.
1: Right. And somebody needs to hold them accountable. Yeah. And somebody needs to hold them accountable just for the, you know, constant spreading of disinformation.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah. Um, the argument that the prosecutor elicited false testimony from Sneed was based on unsubstantiated, uh, based on unsubstantiated conversations, was based on a false premise. And I believe this is because there's no evidence that Smothered, Smotherman directly spoke with Sneed. The evidence presented by Glossop is that Smotherman brought the issue to Walker's attention. And Walker talked to Sneed and Walker may or may not have provided the the substance of her conversations with Sneed to Smotherman, because it's unclear whether the documents were contained in the prosecution files or whether they were contained in the indigent defense attorney files that were provided to Reed Smith. They also found that Glossop's claims were based on pure speculation. The allegation that the memo could have impeached Sneed lacked merit because Sneed was sufficiently impeached at trial. The cumulative error claim was baseless when the court fails to sustain any alleged error, and none of Glossop's claims demonstrated a miscarriage of justice or constituted a substantial violation of constitutional statutory right. So, again, in conclusion, they denied Glossop's second 2022 application. They denied his evidentiary hearing and discovery claim requests, and they issued their mandate immediately, and that was also on November 17th, 2022. Again, Knight makes a statement that in, in basically demonstrates he just didn't bother to read any of the opinion, um, and he plays to the court of public opinion um, and expresses disbelief that Glossop's claims have yet again been found to be unsupported by clear and convincing evidence. The only other explanation for this um, is that he just doesn't read the opinions and doesn't understand them. Or doesn't understand them right. if he does. Uh, Gl- uh, McDougall also wrote an editorial comment column sorry guys that appeared on November 30th, 2022. Again, I have no doubt that he doesn't read the opinions or he doesn't understand what he's reading. And he's so invested in the propaganda campaign that he ignores the mountain of evidence proving Glossop's guilt. And he continues to push the one-sided narrative that Glossop's guilt is in question in spite of the court opinions that have soundly refuted the propaganda campaign over the years. Um. And then we talked about this on November 30th. Knight had filed a request for uh, funds to pursue certain actions on behalf of Glossop and receive some payment from federal indigent Mm. defense coffers. So what he's done since November 30th has been partially compensated by the federal system. So anybody who says he's doing this on his own dime
1: right is lying. So the taxpayers are paying for all this
0: um and it's interesting he filed the motion under seal, but the order wasn't filed under seal. And so some of his requests for funding were granted. While others were rejected as unlikely to succeed or simply a new variation on an old theme that had already failed.
1: Why would Um, he file it under seal?
0: Well, the argument can be made that he filed it under seal because it was an ex parte um, request so that it wouldn't become knowledge to as to strategy to the attorney general's office. In gotcha. theory. But the order wasn't filed under seal. And so the order was accessible and I downloaded that puppy <laughs> right away. <laughs> as soon as, because it was filed in Glossop's original federal habeas corpus writ. Gotcha. Um, and I'm just, i i I turn over every rock and look for new stuff always so uh then on january 2nd 2023 uh an intercept article comes out no surprise it continues the one-sided narrative portraying the state's case as refuted by clear and convincing evidence and ignoring the countless prior legal opinions that refute the author's flawed opinions regarding glossop's alleged innocence and in often in most cases that refute the actual evidence that they claim supports their opinions. Um, Also on January 2nd, there's an email from Don Knight to Kyle Counts, counsel for the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board, posing questions about potential reappointment of Richard Smotherman to the parole board and the procedures and protocols to replace a board member who recuses prior to Glossop's clemency hearing, which was scheduled in January at that time because he had the execution date on February 16th. Then on January 3rd, uh, the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board actually uh, canceled, postponed all clemency hearings scheduled for January. On January 3rd, Glossop filed or, or Knight on behalf of Glossop filed his uh, a writ of certiorari challenging dismissal or denial of his second state post conviction writ uh, or application, PCD 2022 819. That was assigned docket number 22 6500. And um, the questions presented for were whether a court May require a defendant to demonstrate by clear and convincing evidence that no reasonable fact finder would have returned a guilty verdict to obtain relief for a violation of Brady versus Maryland, um, which ignores the fact that the court, the Court of Criminal Appeals, did not find such a, a violation. Um, and I think they found that the allegations of a violation were based on a false premise. Um, and whether the suppressed impeachment evidence of the state's key witness is per se non-material under Brady because that witness's credibility has been otherwise impeached at trial. Uh, and again, the, the flaw in their reasoning is that the Court of Criminal Appeals did not find Brady violations and went so far as to say that the allegations of Brady violations were based on, I repeat, false premise. Um, and then they argued the reasons for granting the petition were that Brady versus Maryland requires only proof of suppression and materiality. The state suppressed exculpatory evidence, the standard of clearing convincing evidence for closing a guilty verdict plainly does not govern Brady materiality and some impeachment at trial does not render all subsequently disclosed impeachment evidence per se immaterial.
1: And, uh, what, and they, was, they what was downed, the evidence that he claims that was the well, Brady Well, this is violation. the
0: evidence, uh, the letter to Gina Walker from Sneed that he wants to recant, mm-hmm. that he regrets testifying, that he wants a better deal. Uh, but again, that's all based on a false pre- premise. It's not a letter to Connie Smotherman saying, I lied in my trial testimony in the first trial. and I don't want to testify in the second trial. It's a letter to Gina Walker saying, you know, I really shouldn't have relived this and... I wish I hadn't done it, and right, you know, I, I, I shouldn't have testified in the second trial, and you know, blah, you know, second, basically post, post trial buyer's remorse.
1: Exactly.
0: Um, they also argued that the decision below squarely implicated the questions presented, um, but again, they're arguing from a false premise because what they're arguing what they're presenting as Brady violations were found not to be Brady violations. So, on January 9th, 2023, uh, Gentner Drummond, the newly elected Attorney General of the State of Oklahoma, took office. On the 10th of January, um, the AG's office did file Oh wait no um my apologies the lethal injection challenge a an extension of time to file a writ was filed on the 10th of January uh that was 22-A or 22A622 it was granted on the 11th of January and um the deadline to file became March 18th, 2023. That was to appeal the affirmance of the dismissal of lethal injection challenge by the district court. That was affirmed by the 10th circuit court of appeal. Um, That was actually the extension of time was actually filed a day late. Cause if I recall correctly, the deadline was the 9th of January. But they got they even though they were a day late on the extension of time they got the extension they were given until Mar- March March eighteenth. On the eleventh, the attorney general's office, Gettner Drummond, who we'll talk about a little bit more later, uh, filed an opposition, and they basically uh, argued that. Um, the court didn't have jurisdiction over the claims that were procedurally defaulted by adequate and independent state law grounds. Um, they argued reasons for denying the writ. The plan, uh, petitioner's Brady claims were barred in state court by adequate and indep- independent state law grounds. They argued the background of, of Glossop's claims and that the court lacked, lacked jurisdiction over the OCCA's denial of relief pursuant to adequate and independent state law grounds as to Propositions 1 and 4. Then on the 17th of January, the parties in state court at the Court of Criminal Appeals filed a motion to reset execution dates pursuant to 22 OS 2021, Section 1001.1, um, it was filed by Drummond requesting additional time. It was not a joint motion, my apologies. It was a, a file by Drummond requesting additional time between execution dates for Glossop and the phase two execution dates set by the court in the 7-1-2022 order. Um, the re- request between ex- for additional times between executions was due to the AG's interviews with DOC staff at the time of Scott Isember's execution on January 12th, 2023. Uh, where apparently he claims the staff expressed uh, consternation with the 30 day thirty days between execution dates. Um, a brief of amici was filed in the U.S. Supreme Court on the 24th of January. Uh, former state and federal prosecutor supporting Glossop. Um, they found that they, they argued that the, his conviction and death sentence were improperly premised upon the unreliable testimony of Justin Sneed, the admitted murderer of the victim in exchange for his avoidance of a death sentence, which is propaganda. The state failed to disclose material impeachment evidence, including the desirous need to recant his testimony. Again, propaganda, Uh, found to be factually insufficient by the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals, and they argued that the death penalty cases demand highest standards of conduct by state actors, Uh, but no comment on the conduct of actors on behalf of the convicted person who lie, cheat, and steal in order to advance their cause. Um, A second amicus brief was filed by McDougal in support of Glossop. Uh, Again, he argued that American law abhors punishing the innocent, especially when the punishment is death. But the flaw in that argument is that Glossop is not legally or factually innocent. In the eyes of the courts, he's legally and factually guilty. In the eyes of the U.S. Supreme Court, he is legally and factually guilty. Um, he found that this, he argued that the system must correct miscarriages of justice and wrongful convictions. Again, false premise because um, the courts have held that there is no miscarriage of justice in Glossop's case, nor is his, his conviction a wrongful one. That is McDougall's opinion.
1: Right. Yeah. And people always mistake the attorney's opinion with actually a court yeah. finding a fact.
0: Um, he argues that denying the convicted a remedy for prosecutorial misconduct only worsens miscarri- miscarriages of justice. Again, the uh, the allegations of prosecutorial misconduct have been rejected.
1: Well, yeah, and um, allegations aren't true. I mean, you, I mean right, that's the exactly. thing is they'll make he, the, allegations because it gets they, pressed and you have people like CNN yeah. who just run it uncritically.
0: Yeah, the the allegations of prosecutorial misconduct raised by my knight on behalf of Glossop have been found to be unsupported by sufficient evidence or clear and convincing evidence. So again, Sorry. it's a false premise. And then finally, he argued that absent the court's intervention, Oklahoma could execute an innocent man. Um, he argued that Justin Snead's statements inculpating Glossop were manifestly false. New evidence showed detectives fabricated a theory that Glossop was guilty, then coerced Justin Sneed to adopt their story. That's untrue. Sneed immediately abandoned the story the police fed him. That's not true. Independent new evidence supports Sneed's jailhouse admissions. Not true. Murder for hire theory was fictitious. Not true. Kevin McDougall's entire amicus brief is a work of fiction. From beginning to end. It's his opinion presented as fact and legal argument.
1: Do you but think a lot of these is... are filed? I think you mentioned it before, though. Do you think a lot of these are filed so they can get the quote unquote journals, you know, like your CNN people to like read these like they're fact? Because, you know, they're going to take this non critically and just say, oh, look at all of this. You know, you get kind of the low information. Jerno and the low information well, CNN watcher that reads these because they think just because they're filed in court that gives them some kind of credibility.
0: I think on both sides of the aisle, journalism has fallen from fair, equal.
1: Yeah, nobody asks biased tough reporting
0: of yep. each side to advocacy. Exactly report only the facts that support your position right discredit the facts that don't support your position if you can't ignore them and misrepresent at will whatever you have to misrepresent yeah anything
1: that yeah anything that contradicts my point of view i'm going to misrepresent exactly
0: yeah and that is I, I, I there are I mean, we've talked about this with I've talked about it with Gary Meese. Uh, we've talked about it, I think, with Rob Chadwick. I mean, journalists are no longer journalists. They're advocates.
1: Exactly. Yeah. They're just PR people for whatever mm-hmm. side they choose.
0: Yeah. And and when uh, and I think Roberta Glass did a really great um, show with someone who was formerly at Intercept. And when Intercept moved from from journalism, investigative journalism, to advocacy, he and one of his colleagues experienced workplace bullying and hazing and and horrible treatment by their fellow, co- by their colleagues at the Intercept because they did not like and they spoke out about the turn right. that the Intercept had taken. And um, I, unfortunately, I don't remember the name of the episode. I would, I would. Invite I think Robarda, the founder
1: of the founder of the Intercept, I think it's G- Glenn Greenwald has come out and he's kind of become one of the kind of independent voices speaking up for. You know, what we used to call journalism, where people yeah. would actually try to actually do some research and actually and come to, you know, conclusions based on the facts instead of picking facts that fit your conclusions.
0: Yeah. And and I would invite Roberta, when I post this episode, um, please, in the comments, please post a link to this, to your episode with this discussion of the intercepts uh, move from journalism and really hard hitting investigative journalism to advocacy. Right. Um and and hiring potheads like Jordan Smith. <laughs> um <laughs> uh, on the twenty-fourth of January twenty twenty three, Glossop filed his reply brief to the state's opposition, uh, or response brief in opposition to his uh his claim in the US Supreme Court uh he argued repeated that the decision was contrary to Brady versus Maryland that there was no adequate independent ground uh applied by the OCCA um they applied a no procedural bar to proposition 4 which i think was the actual innocence claim um I, and i think they tried to argue well the state didn't raise these bars so you know, it can't be applied, which this the state doesn't have to raise everything the OCCA can apply. <laughs> Trust me. Right. Um, whether the basis for a Brady claim has been disclosed is intertwined with the merits of that claim. Um, the arbitrary application of the state's procedural bar rule does not bar review, and that, um, the state opened. Uh, the state court opened its doors to consider Brady claims and it must grant relief it requires. Um, Then on the 24th, the Court of Criminal Appeals did grant the Attorney General's request to reset Phase two execution dates and reset Glossop's execution date for May 18, 2023. Um, Judge Lumpkin filed a concurring opinion Uh, But he had a little something to say. Uh, He basically stated he recognized the executive branch of our state government as a branch vested with the authority and responsibility to execute the laws passed by the legislative branch. The application of the law uh, of our government and the application of the law as interpreted by the judicial branch of our government So he was required to concur in the results set out in this order. However, the original execution dates on these cases were scheduled pursuant to a schedule requested by the Department of Corrections and Attorney General allowing 30 days between execution dates. While the 30 days was a longer period than previously considered by this court, it was a reasonable time period and therefore approved by the court. Now, the DOC and Attorney General are seeking to expand this time period with no more than a claim of inconvenience, thus, moving the goalposts they originally established. The time period between execution dates should have been a part of the due diligence the DOC and the Attorney General considered prior to submitting the original request for execution dates to this court. Changing the time between dates does not assist in addressing the finality of sentence or provide the closure victims seek in the process. So, that was what... I mean, and he's got a point. The OCCA didn't just, you know, randomly say, okay, 30 days. That was what the Attorney General asked for in the original thing, based on consultation with the Department of Corrections. So, right, I agree. Goalposts were moved.
1: But they moved them, yeah.
0: Uh, on the 26th of January... Uh, A.G. Drummond appointed his childhood friend, Rex Duncan, to conduct an, of quote, independent investigation.
1: Of course. Independent,
0: unquote, investigation of Glossop's Very case. independent. Drummond does not disclose that Duncan has entered into a contract valued at $120,000 with the A.G.'s office or that his proposed compensation for the Glossop invica- investigation will be in the amount of thirty. dollars thousand dollars so one fourth of that hundred twenty thousand dollar contract on january twenty-seventh twenty twenty three the attorney general gives Glossop's counsels access to a box of prosecute of files that were segregated by A.G. O'Connor's office with handwritten notes removed from the Oklahoma DA's files by John O'Connor's office. Um, Those were removed based on O'Connor's opinion, I guess you could call it, that these notes were work product, that they contained thoughts, impressions, opinions of the prosecutors that were not discoverable to the defense at the time of trial or at any time during post conviction litigation. Um and interestingly there is no post conviction duty to disclose material in Oklahoma at this time. So once you're convicted
1: you're convicted.
0: You're convicted and the state doesn't have to keep sending you new, you know, new material. Um whether it's exculpatory or not. They don't have to go through their files and say, oh, well, we didn't provide this at trial, but now we think maybe we should have.
1: Well, again, it's just I mean, if you think about it practically, I mean, you can't, I mean, just from a total court, you can't just keep adjudicating these cases Mm -hmm. into perpetuity. I mean, people have this kind of naive idea that, oh, we're just searching for justice, which, yes, it's fair, we are, but there's got to be some level of... You know, structure and process. Right. Otherwise, nobody will get justice if the courts are constantly clogged.
0: And and I think also it's important to point out the district attorney in Oklahoma County had no duty in 2015, or 2021, or 2020, or 2022, to allow Don Knight to look at the DA's files. All right. Um, which again is the impression that Don Knight tried to give in the in the in the public court of public opinion. So he provides this box and this is where the 2023 Rick comes from, because they find these handwritten notes and, and then they speculate and they, um, they, you know, write their false story and, and they come up with claims, additional claims on behalf of Glossop. But I, you know, spoiler alert. So on, uh, February 6th, the U.S. Supreme Court requested in a letter to the Court of Criminal Appeals the record in Glossop's 2nd, 2022 post-conviction application. Um, on the 13th of February, the Court of Criminal Appeals lodged that record with the the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, on March 16th, 2023, Don Knight, or Reed Smith, probably Reed Smith, goes to Paul Melton, who had provided affidavits previously with the Mercedes fancy girlfriend robbery gone wrong story allegedly told to him by Justin Sneed while they were in the Oklahoma County Jail in 1997. Uh, And he gets, or Reed Smith gets, a lengthy supplemental affidavit that serves as as the basis for the robbery gone wrong claim cited by Reed Smith in its initial report and appears to be for the sole purpose of expanding on Melton's prior stories to provide more detail to those stories. Um, Among the factual inaccuracies are Melton's claim that Sneed and the girl, whose name could be Fancy or Mercedes or Sherry, stayed in another motel rented by a roofing crew friend of Sneed's, And they also adds that Sneed strangled Barry Ventries. Now, as far as the, in Sneed's flight from the motel, the established facts are that he left the motel, he stayed under a bridge, according to his statement to the Oklahoma City Police Department, and then he went back to the roofing crew, and he started staying with a, a one of the bosses of the roofing crew in an apartment in Oklahoma city. There was no staying in a motel. He didn't call a roofing crew friend and get Mm -hmm. that friend to rent the motel room as Melton claims. So again, factual inaccuracies. And then there's no evidence that Barry Vintry's was strangled. Although Don Knight will invent that. um, As we'll see in a few more minutes. Uh, yeah. On March 17th, 2023, um, Reed Smith and or Don Knight goes to a psychiatrist by the name of Lawrence Tromka. Because on one of the notes in this box eight is apparently Smotherman was was interviewing Sneed or talking to Sneed. And she writes lithium and she writes Dr. Trumpet. And then she writes a couple of other notes and initially what Knight um, presented was not even legible. Uh, but he argued that the uh, trumpet refers to Dr. Tromka. And his ultimate argument is that this note should have been provided to the defense, who then could have... and. and let me see. More accurately, the prosecution should have looked up who the doctor is, found out he was a psychiatrist named Dr. Tromka, and then told the defense, hey, Dr. Tromka at the jail is a psychiatrist who prescribed justice need lithium. I think that's kind of how I interpret Don Knight's argument. So the right. prosecution was required based on this statement misspelled name from justin sneed to investigate it and then provide that information to the defense that's their argument
1: yeah that so they go sense.
0: to dr tromka and they get this affidavit on march 17th 2023 um and he says he was the sole psychiatrist at the oklahoma county jail in 1997 through 1998 He uh, says that lithium was a first-line drug used to treat patients diagnosed with, and they redacted Sneed's diagnosis.
1: Mm.
0: Uh, But I think they've posted in other sources have said bipolar disorder. Um, He examined a medical information sheet indicating Sneed was being transferred to the DOC on 7898, and then he had previously used lithium. Um, that the jail would have had a file with Sneed's medical records, which would have included his notes and diagnosis, as well as medications prescribed. Those records were maintained by the jail, which was run by the Oklahoma County Sheriff's Department. He said he did not keep his own copy of rec- records. So this is important because having Dr. Tromka's name would not have provided the offense with records because he didn't have them. Mm. Uh, He was the only medical health professional who would have prescribed lithium. Lithium is a psychotropic drug, not prescribed by non-psychiatric physicians at the jail. It was not used or indicated for use for dental problems or cold, or would not be confused with Sudafed. Uh, Illicit drug use can exacerbate redacted, Probably bipolar, and a manic episode can cause an individual to be more paranoid and potentially violent. A manic episode could affect an individual's huh. perception of reality as well as their memory recall. Uh, he said Dr. King would, Eve King, would have had access to Sneed's medical records maintained by the jail when she conducted Sneed's competency evaluation. Um, and it's important to note her report was addressed to the judge who ordered the evaluation at the request of Sneed's counsel at the time, George Miskovsky III. So the prosecution was not involved in the competency evaluation. They didn't ask for it. They didn't didn't obtain the doctor to do it, and they didn't obtain records on behalf of or have access to those records. Right. Um, And, you know, this is, I think this is after HIPAA was enacted. So... Uh, This also defeats one of Glossop's many claims, is even if the prosecution had Justin Sneed's medical records, unless they had an authorization from Justin Sneed to provide those records to Glossop's defense counsel, they could not provide those records.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, that would definitely be a HIPAA violation. You
0: have to have a specific authorization. So, if they got an authorization for the doctor to provide them to the prosecution, the prosecution would have to have either within that authorization, and usually our authorizations allow us to provide records to our experts or to the patient. Upon request. Right. They don't allow us to necessarily provide it to. Co-defendants. Or. Co-defense experts. Um, Now in some cases. We'll alter like if we're. If we're obtaining medical records by authorization. That authorization will include. That we can send it to all the. All counsel involved in the case. Um, but we have that specifically in the authorization. Um, other parties in the case, whatever. It, it's not right. included automatically. We have to. Yeah, alter you have to get that authorization. To include it. So um, le- lethal injection challenge on March 18, 2023. There was no petition filed. And I have confirmed this with the U.S. Supreme Court Clerk's Office on June 16, 2023, the Lethal Injection Challenge, the Fifth Circuit's affirmance is final. There is no Supreme Court lethal injection case pending or contemplated, and any attempt now to file would be out of time. Uh, And then uh, on the 19th, of twenty twenty March nineteenth, twenty twenty-three, uh Don Knight and or Reed Smith, because Reed Smith is now actively helping Don Knight. They were not independent. They're an anti-death right. penalty advocate. Yeah, they're they're
1: firm. definitely firm.
0: Yeah. They were not independent. And Don Knight, McDougal, Humphreys are in bed with Don Knight, possibly literally. Not just <laughs> meta, you know, <laughs>
1: metaphorically.
0: <laughs> um, McDougal for sure, and uh, Reed Smith is in bed with Don Knight, and so they're yeah. helping Don. They're helping Don Knight by, you know, sending attorneys and giving Don Knight's claims an air of, well, look, you know, we're independent, and and this is the conclusion we reached. Well, that's because you only looked at what he told you to look for Ex- yeah. or look at. Um they went to uh, Dr. Speth, who had provided an affidavit or certification in 2015 um, that was critical of Dr. Choi's examination, her methodology, her evidence, and her opinions regarding Barry Ventrice's cause of death and the injuries sustained by him. Speth now claims that Mr. Vantrese's cause of death was strangulation based on a red mark on his neck. And this is likely to have an expert to bolster Melton's fantasy-laden affidavit. And the affidavit was um, notarized or dated three nineteen for his signature, but it was not notarized until the twentieth. So it's a, there's a little bit of in uh, inconsistency, a little a little bit of red flag going on there. Uh, then they they went to Gary Ackley on March 21st, 2023, and they got an affidavit from him. And it's kind of a long affidavit. And he, you know, he kind of, I'm not going to go into, into everything he said, but he does kind of defeat their claims or refute their claims about the Sinclair of gas station video. Uh, he does admit that he spoke to Rex, Rex Duncan Duncan in early March. Um, he, uh, admits to speaking with Reed Smith, Jackson Walker attorneys in 2022 and 2023. Um, he, uh, refutes the claims about Don May, Bob Macy being involved in Glossop's death sentence in 2004, because Bob Macy wasn't even the district attorney that at that time, that was a gentleman by the name of Wes Lane. Um, and he, uh, Let's see. He does. He confirms that his notes state that Kayla personally told him she looked at the video while she was at the store the morning of January 7th, 1997, to see when Sneed came in, because one of the ultimate claims is that Kayla personally viewed the video and that was never disclosed to the defense. Um that uh he says his notes do confirm that the Oklahoma City police took the tape, but the you know, the videotape has disappeared
1: yep. it wasn't in the
0: files
1: right um just conveniently disappeared.
0: yeah, I, I I don't think it appears on any evidence inventories. Um, while she thinks they took the tape, she may be mistaken in that belief. Yeah. um, and I think she's now deceased, so there's no there's
1: going no back to, to her and,
0: and talking to her. But you know, the tape ultimately showed the inside of the store. It could have been used to corroborate Kayla Persley's testimony about the comings and goings at the store the night of Barry Ventrice's murder. Um, it could have corroborated Justin Sneed's claim of what time he went into the store that night or early morning. It might've refuted his time or showed that he was off on time, right. uh, but it didn't show the front of room 102
1: nah, or it didn't, any, yeah.
0: any view of the hotel.
1: Yeah. It didn't show anything that would have been really changed the answer.
0: Um, he also uh, does not recall knowing or discussing that Sneed was on lithium for bipolar disorder, he believes that would have been an important factor for the defense to know, and thinks it was Brady impeachment material. He believes the condition was disclosed to the parties to the litigation by filing of a written report in the case by Dr. King in her competency evaluation on seven seventeen ninety seven. Um. Uh, that uh, some of it is his opinion. I'm not going to repeat. Um, he also goes into some of his notes regarding the amount of money money spent to refurbish or, or get the hotel back up and running after Glossop's mismanagement um and the uh, his notes made during Dr. Choi's testimony and questions raised by that testimony but it's not really it's not really that germane it becomes the basis for some of Glossop's claims but not so much that I really need to go into it here uh, because, again, those are their speculative claims. And Ackley's speculation in his affidavit is the basis for some of those claims. Um, On the 27th of, of March, 2023, Reed Smith issued its fifth supplemental report with additional speculative allegations regarding the contents of Box 8, and alleging numerous Brady and Nappy violations and rehashing old issues, including the money in Glossop's possession at the time of his arrest and the amount of money available for Sneed and Glossop to steal after uh, Sneed murdered Barry, Barry Ventrice at Glossop's urging. So on March 27, 2023, Glossop's uh, night filed on behalf of Glossop a Successive application for post conviction relief, which was PCD 2023 267. Proposition one alleges that the state withheld evidence, including impeachment evidence obtained from Sneed prior to the 2024 trial regarding treatment by a psychiatrist and his mental health do- diagnosis, which was redacted from Glossop's petition but later identified as bipolar disorder. Um, now, Again, the parties knew, based on that 1997 report from Edith King, that Sneed was prescribed lithium in the jail. Brady does not absolve a defense attorney from conducting any investigation. Brady does not require that all information a defense attorney has comes from the prosecution. Uh, right. a defense attorney knowing that sneed was pre- prescribed lithium could have gone to the jail and said who's your doctor gotten the doctor's name looked him up found out that he was a psychiatrist yeah. uh if they got a if they got an authorization signed by justin sneed they could have gotten those records if they couldn't get an authorization from justin sneed they could have filed a request or a subpoena in the court to get those records uh because there's a lot they could have
1: done that they just didn't bother doing, and they didn't do it apparently which tells you or there's a lot of information content the fact of what they don't do
0: or they did do it but then they thought it's probably not a good idea for us to make they
1: didn't like the result
0: need look more vulnerable
1: Right. To Glossop
0: because he has a mood disorder and he takes these drugs that make that mood disorder worse. And that glossop that can then tell him things uh,
1: yeah, more and make him them. even
0: more paranoid and violent than he All already right. was. Or make him paranoid and violent when he wasn't. Um, and pardon, I'm gonna I'm gonna talk a little bit while I'm walking because I'm very thirsty today. Because it's hot, hot, hot. <laughs> so um, yeah, but thank you. it's they hot and
1: muggy in New Orleans.
0: Yeah. Oh, very buggy. It's like south of hell. <laughs> so we'll take a we'll take a little short break. Uh if you if you need to go get something yourself, by all means, do so. Um I will say at this juncture that. If we still had our wonderful audio editor, this wouldn't be a problem because she could just take all this out. But Emily has moved on to oh, bigger no. and better things. What
1: happened to Emily?
0: Well, she she started working a full-time job. Uh. She was doing this. She had, she had finished school and she was doing this pro bono with us, uh, which we very much appreciated. And... She began working full-time, which is wonderful. And um, she needed to concentrate on her full-time work and her full-time responsibilities. And it was becoming um more and more challenging for her to um
1: well, good for Emily. Cheers do the to editing her. work didn't for realize us. that.
0: And uh that was I have no no hard feelings or no regrets or I'm glad we we worked with her for the time that we did. And I'll miss her. But you get us warts and all from now on, (laughs) including impromptu Diet Coke
1: breaks.
0: (laughs) So um, and I guess if I if I'd planned it a little better, I could have paused the recording and then come back. But
1: what's a nice plug for Diet Coke? Maybe we'll get a new Diet Coke ad.
0: Yeah, that would be great. <laughs> I also I drove my first Honda for twenty years, twenty one years, uh, no, twenty years, and I'm driving my second one on year fifteen.
1: Oh wow! Um, How many so, Honda miles have you put? Have you gotten a million uh, miles? I yet? Don't,
0: i i my my Civic had just turned a hundred thousand. My CRV is seventy-two thousand, I think. I'm a low mileage person. Yeah, seriously. So I, you know, the the most miles I put was between New Orleans and and Arkansas when I lived in Arkansas. And um, but since I moved back to New Orleans in 2010, I haven't been putting that many miles. But yeah, I bought it in 2007. And so, no, 16 years. I'm in year 16. October will be 16 years. Honda, hook a girl up.
1: Yeah, seriously, that's amazing.
0: They are great cars. They last forever. I have not, with my Civic, I had one major problem, which was the computer. Um, And that was after... 14 12 or 14 years um and well, then... we also
1: we have a we have a crv with 160 something thousand miles and a Ford with 140 something so uh uh-huh. yeah we're definitely uh we have 300 000 miles of hondas in our family
0: yeah and and you know like my my crv i've never had a major problem the only major expense i've had is two tire changes
1: yeah, you that's know, not that bad. Yeah,
0: that's the only major expense.
1: Uh,
0: and thank you to Firestone for working with me <laughs> to enable me to be able to change my tires. Um, all right, so back to Glossop's successive application. His other, his next claim, uh, that Kayla personally viewed the Sinclair video and they misrepresent, misrep- app, app, pardon me, Ackley statement. They imply that she viewed the video before the 2004 trial, when in reality, Ackley's statement says she viewed it on the morning of January 7th, 1997. Um, so that's a lie. Um, the state that the state failed to disclose the statement by Bill Sunday during an interview with Ackley regarding the amount of money spent on the hotel which uh, Sunday allegedly claimed was $25,000 in the interview um, that could have been used to impeach Kenneth Van But from my reading of the notes for Sunday, um, it's not clear whether it was $25,000 overall, $25,000 for just the things... That had to be done because Glossop had let it get into the state that it had gotten into. Um, it the context of the twenty five thousand dollars is regarding painters. So, did they hire painters to come in and refurbish the whole, whole every building, every room? Well, yeah, that's going to cost twenty five thousand dollars. But what they spent to fix what Glossop fucked up may have only been two to three thousand. Or two to four thousand, or three to four thousand, which was what Ken Kenneth Van test, testified to. So, with regard to the allegations about Bill Sunday, the context of Sunday's statements and Van statements—they're taking them out of context and then trying to say, "Well, see, somebody lied," right? Or we could have proven Van is lying, but it doesn't help gloss up whether they spent $4,000 or $25,000, neither of those amounts of money make makes Glossa look like a good manager. Um, so again... Right,
1: they're just kind of distracting with trying to sort of yeah. throw things against the wall to see if anything will stick.
0: And then the final claim in Proposition 1 is that the state failed to disclose a statement from Everhart, which allegedly... Uh, included the amount of money Glossop got for sale of his possessions. There's a note that apparently Everhart talked about the things Glossop was selling. And then the number 900 was included in the notes. And so they say, well, see, this proves Glossop sold his things. If he got $900 for a couch and all this money for all these other things, That explains why he had that $1,200 that the court said couldn't be explained. But the reason this isn't a Brady violation and couldn't be a Brady violation under any stretch of the imagination is because Glossop sold those things. Glossop knew how much money he would have gotten for selling his things. And yet he never provided anybody with a figure or an amount.
1: Yeah, and it goes back to, you know, again, it's the way that guilty people behave. If you're innocent, you mm-hmm. turn over as much information as possible to make your case. If you're guilty, you lie and you hide and you your stories change.
0: Yeah. So, uh, proposition two are allegations related to the alleged loss, destruction, or withholding by the state of the Sinclair video. Uh, Again, it misrepresents Ackley's statement, which is that Kayla Pursley stated that she looked at the video while she was at the store the morning of January 7th to see when Sneed came in. That does not mean she looked at the video at any time prior to the first trial or the second trial while it was in the custody of the state. Uh, It speculates that the video would have been helpful to the defense. In spite of multiple statements that the video showed only the interior of the store, and it speculates that the video was willfully destroyed or that the state still has it in its possession. Although Gary Ackley went back to the DA's office briefly and went through every video in the Glossop case, uh, in the case files for Glossop and did not find the Sinclair video. Proposition 3. Uh, Glossop's due process rights were violated when following the ME's testimony. The entries was stabbed. The prosecutor sought to change Sneed's testimony. Now, again, they have already brought this issue in the first or second 2022 writ based on the memo from Smotherman to Walker. However, now they're using it based on Ackley's notes, uh, made during the testimony of the medical examiner. Uh, which And they misrepresent represent his affidavit, uh, where he states at the time he did not understand her statement and misunderstood the circumstances of the wounds because of their unique nature, i.e., the victim was stabbed with a knife that had its sharp point broken off sometime before the fatal attack which created atypical stab wounds in Ackley's experience. And they provide additional speculation about the prosecutor's actions and motivations, uh, again, based on notes between Ackley and Smotherman taken during Dr. Choi's testimony, and based on Smotherman's memo to Walker and Walker's notes on that memo. Um, Proposition 4, Glossop is actually innocent, which has been repeatedly rejected as not supported by clear and convincing evidence. Proposition 5, Cumulative Error, rehashing previously rejected claims, including the intentional destruction of box of 10 items of evidence, which was raised in 2015 and 2022, that prosecutors coached Snead to change his testimony, which was raised in 2022, and is unsupported by any evidence of direct interaction between Smotherman and Sneed, because what they produce is from Smotherman to Walker. Um, The Sinclair video, the investigation not, uh, an investigation not conducted properly by police, which has been raised in 2015 and 2022, an allegation that defense counsel did not investigate, also raised in 2015 and 2022. Um, They allege multiple independent and new, new witnesses, who they have known about since 2015, 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021, and 2022. Polygraph materials lost, destroyed, or fictitious. Again, this was raised 2015 and 2022. They re-raised the use of posters, which was rejected in Glossop's first post-conviction claim. They alleged Snead wished to recant, which is untrue, and has been raised in 2015 and 2022. Um... That the jury was given incorrect corroboration instructions, again previously raised in 2007 and rejected, or raised and rejected in 2007. Evidence released to the family family prematurely, impeachment information about Justice Need's mental health not disclosed. Those issues were raised in 2015 and 2022, and could have been discovered by the by the defense. Independently of the prosecution, by seeking Justin Snee's medical records from the jail when yeah, he, he, did, he was prescribed they, lithium.
1: Yeah, it just he's just continuing to just file stuff over and over. Like all this stuff seems like it's been adjudicated. I'm, yeah, I'm still fascinated by how he's able just to continually clog up the courts with all of these useless. Potions. Um,
0: they also allege, you know, that Glossop's IQ is at most 78. They make allegations regarding uh, uh, substandard autopsy, uh, which were raised in 2015 and 2022, unreli- unreliable and inappropriate op- opinion testimony from the medical examiner at trial, previously raised. Uh, they allege additional Brady material was withheld, that the arrest and imitation, Im- intimidation of innocence witnesses by the Oklahoma County District Attorney and AG offices. Uh, these were raised in 2015 and 2022, and they argue Sneed lacked credibility, which they've been arguing since 2015. Um, then there was an appendix uh, filed with that, which included a page from her interview notes, from Connie Smotherman's interview notes of Justin Sneed, And I just want to stop here and say, That what they are saying, what McDougal, what Humphreys are saying in the media about Connie Smotherman, accusing her of committing a crime, uh, accusing her of prosecutorial misconduct, accusing her of lying, cheating, stealing, hiding things. um, I think that those claims are actionable. And I hope that when the dust settles on all this, that Connie Smotherman will uh, take both Justin, both Justin Humphrey and Kevin McDougal to task.
1: Yeah, there needs to be some accountability. Yeah, there needs some accountability for wasting the public's time.
0: Uh, because the they're making these statements in the media, they're not making these statements in court. They're not making these statements in court filings. Uh, Don Knight is immunized by the statements that he's making in court filings. Uh, But when he goes outside and makes them in the media, I think that they also, once Richard Glossop is finally executed, I think that she also should file against Don Knight for the claims in the media. And I put this out there now if she happens to listen. If you want, I have most of these things gathered already. I will happily provide them to you. I will scour the internet for every article in which Don Knight has besmirched her character and her name and Kevin McDougal and Justin Humphreys as well. And I will provide her the evidence to support her claims. Um, and I would also suggest that before anybody deposes her, that there is at the same time, a deposition of Knight Humphrey and McDougall scheduled and that those depositions are taken within days of her deposition so that when they grill her in her deposition, her attorney has equal opportunity to grill them and to gather disputed issues of fact to counter the motion for summary judgment that her deposition will be used to support. Um, and if I knew an Oklahoma attorney who would handle it pro bono for her, I would be happy to recommend such, but I don't. So that I digress, but they're making some really, like I said, they're making irresponsible and untrue Yeah.
1: Well, they need to be held Uh, allegations against
0: her that they need to they need to be punished. Yeah,
1: they need to be held accountable for just, you know, libeling people unjustly like they just get away with it because it's under the auspices of the innocence fraud movement. But they don't doesn't matter who all they slander or libel.
0: And, um, you know, a lot of this stuff like they 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 support their claims about Sinclair video with an October 29th, 2003 email from Smotherman to Birch which they probably had when they raised the original claims about the the Sinclair video. So, you know, it's not new. None of this, aside from the affidavits that Reed Smith got for them, none of this information is new. And, um, you know, the notes, well, the notes were withheld for a valid reason because they complain, they contain sometimes thoughts, impressions, and even strategies of attorneys which are not discoverable, just as they could not go to uh glossop's counsel pretrial and say, give us your notes. You know, it's not that's not how it works. Yeah, um, right. So um, and you know, most importantly, the 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 allegations about the notes uh regarding Cliff Everhart's speculation about what Glossop got for the stuff he sold. Glossop knew exactly how much he got. And apparently uh Deanna Wood was able to provide Reed Smith with some receipts for this stuff. So I mean, you know, Glossop could have provided his attorneys with this information. Um and then they filed a motion for discovery. Uh which wants a renewed search for the Sinclair video and submission of documentation of the state search efforts, a deposition of Connie Smotherman to interpret her notes and account for her actions in the preparation for and conduct of Glossop's trial, which I don't understand why Reed Smith did not get this from Connie Smotherman prior to issuing any report or providing any findings to Don Knight. So again, You know, they didn't talk to Connie Smotherman about her memo to Gina Walker. They didn't talk to Connie Smotherman about her understanding of Justin Sneed's use of the word recant. Or any of these things. So, uh, again, this is all just for show. It's all just to make it look like Richard Glossop might be innocent.
1: Yeah, and, it's just it's like throwing it's just like making it easy for people to write stories about his innocence mm-hmm. inside all this stuff.
0: Yeah. As though it's true, even yeah, though exactly.
1: Yeah, it's ultimately
0: found to lack credibility or not to be true. Uh and then they file a motion for evidentiary hearing that they want to present testimony from Justin Sneed, Connie Smotherman, Gary Ackley, Dr. Choi, Paul Melton, Peter Speth, Larry Tromka, and Chuck Laughlin, who was at the OIDS office and Uh, verified Walker's handwriting on the Smotherman memo. Um, They also filed a notice of conflict and request for recusal. And this is one of the most idiotic things that Don Knight has ever, ever, ever done. He wants to recuse vice-presiding Judge Hudson because he hired Connie Pope, who is now Connie Smotherman, as a prosecutor in 1996 when he was appointed DA for Payne and Logan counties and that his clerk, Seth Branham was a former AG who defended Glossop's conviction. Now, Seth Branham, because he worked on prior cases or prior claims made by Glossop as an AG, he's not involved. He's not working as a clerk on Glossop's case for Hudson, but to argue that because Hudson hired Glossop's prosecutor in different counties, years before that he can't be unbiased or can't be fair to Glossop is the most idiotic claim. Um And then on March 27, 2023, the AG and Glossop filed a joint motion seeking a stay of Glossop's execution until October 24 of 2024 to allow the, quote, independent, unquote, investigation by Rex Duncan to be concluded prior to Glossop's execution so that the state can make a fully informed decision about its position. Um, And this is an instance of the AG obviously speaking out of his own mouth. He's just speaking out of both sides of his mouth. He's just looking for a way to try to work with Don Knight and to work with Reed Smith and to delay Glossop's execution from the date in May. And you'll see why I make this statement a little bit later. On the 30th of March, uh, an objection to the petitioner's notice of conflict and request for recusal is filed, I believe by the AG's office, um, saying that the allegations of, against Vice-Presiding Judge Hutchinson lack a factual basis and do not require recusal, that Glossop's experts' opinions, are inconsistent, i.e., he believes Hudson should have recused himself because of his former working relationship with Smotherman, but then goes on to state later that Hudson was not required to disclose that relationship in 2015 and 2022. Um, that Hellman fails to explain why Hudson was required to recuse, but not required to disclose the relationship that petitioner has not met his burden to demonstrate that a reasonable observer would question the impartiality of Judge Hudson, given his prior three-year professional relationship with Ms. Smotherman, that petitioner's inferences into the exact contours of their relationship should not be given any credence when it comes to making that dis- this decision as they are unsupported and highly tenuous speculation. So speaking out of both sides, he's wanting to delay the execution but not agreeing with the recusal request. And also because on April 3rd, 2023, Rex Duncan issued his report. And the reason we know that Duncan's report was not independent is because he credits Knight, Reed Smith, Jackson Walker, and Crow and Dunleavy, all who have worked on behalf of Colossal, as instrumental in navigating a reported 146,000 pages related to the case. And I take that to mean telling me what to look at and what to look for to support Glossop's claims of innocence.
1: Yeah, 100%. Yeah, he's just basically a stooge.
0: (laughs) He also admits to having several in-person meetings with Don Knight and Amy Knight, who assisted in his understanding of their client's defense, He sought expert opinions from Hellman, who was hired by Reed Smith, including the allegations on the Notice of Conflict and Request for Recusal, filed on March 27, 2023. His findings are that there is sufficient evidence of Glossop's involvement in the murder of Barry Van to support his 1997 prosecution. He found that Glossop incriminated himself as an accessory after the fact during his 1997 interviews and 1998 sworn jury trial testimony. He finds circumstantial evidence supported the state's argument that Glossop was a principal subject to prosecution for murder in the first degree. However, he states that the case would have been weaker, quote, if full discovery had been provided. Um, And this is, again, his marching orders from Don Knight were, you've got to say there were Brady violations. Similar to what was done in Adnan Syed's case, he believes Gosse Goth- Glossop was deprived of a fair trial in which the state can have confidence in the process and result. Hmm. Gee, where have I heard that? Oh wait, <laughs> haven't hasn't Kevin McDougal made that exact statement?
1: Uh, Sounds gee, very familiar, right?
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, it's almost was like Kevin McDougal hand script? up
0: Duncan's butt when he was. Writing this report <laughs> could be. I don't know. Uh, he believes that violations of discovery mandating a new trial under Brady and violation of disclosure requirements under NAPU prevent such confidence. Now, this is the this is the basis when Justin Seed testimony and I believe in Justin Seed's testimony in 2004, and I believe in his testimony in 1998, he said, I didn't see a psychiatrist. I don't know why they prescribed lithium. That I went, I asked for Sudafed for a cold, or maybe because he wanted to cook some meth in jail. Because hmm. that's one of the reasons you have to get, you can't get Sudafed over the counter. <laughs> you have to go that's to the pharmacy and say, I need Sudafed. All right.
1: but you and that's why when
0: you buy like NyQuil, you can only buy one right and they have to get your age and sometimes for a while in arkansas they had to see your uh your your driver's
1: license
0: right. and they took down your yeah. name
1: yeah it's i think it's still that way right in a lot of places
0: so um but uh so they allege that the prosecutor because of that doctor trumpet question mark that the prosecutor should have gone to the jail, found out Dr. Trumpet was Dr. Tromka, who's a psychiatrist, and so when Justin Seed, "I didn't see," say, "I did," said, "I didn't see a psychiatrist," should have said, "Wait, Dr. Tromka," the judge, the doctor you saw, he's a psychiatrist, or should have told the defense that Dr. Trump he saw Dr. Tromka, who's a psychiatrist. I mean, it's kind of a convoluted. They either should have said, well, you're not telling the truth, Justin, because you did see a psychiatrist, or they should have told the defense so the defense could have impeached him. Now, the defense could have said, hmm, he was prescribed lithium in jail. Let's find out who prescribed it and why they prescribed it. And they didn't need that from the prosecution. They could have gotten that on their own. So and maybe they did, but they just didn't want to bring any attention to the fact that Justin Sneed has mental problems. Um, so anyway, so, yeah, they, they claim either that it was a Brady violation for not providing psychiatrist at the jail information to the defense or NAPI violation because Justin Sneed was making a false statement. Um, he believes Glossop was defo- deprived of a f- fair clemency hearing in 2014 before the Oklahoma Pardon and Parole Board and in his subsequent successive applications for post-conviction relief uh, because Patricia High was a prosecutor and didn't recuse herself. She worked with Connie Smotherman, uh, but the, the 2014 clemency hearing has zero, zero to do with the 2004
1: trial. Yeah. Ex- yeah. I Ten years later, it doesn't make no sense. It would be related. I
0: mean, you know, and and Glossop testified in his 1998 trial that he failed a polygraph. So, again, all this all this brouhaha about the polygraph and the results and the fact that that Don Knight hasn't gotten a report uh, really doesn't have any impact whatsoever on the factual Uh, the fact (laughs) that the established fact that Glossop was administered a polygraph. He has admitted that he was administered a polygraph and he failed to polygraph. Now if he's now telling Reed Smith they put a colander on my head and it had some wires attached to it and it was attached to a copy machine and when when I made a statement the copy machine printed out why then, you know, that's Glossop making up a new story. And I think yeah. Glossop now is saying, oh, well, I only had a pulse oximeter on my finger or I only had something on my finger. There weren't any other wires or any other thing. Well,
1: and attached. again, should have all that come out at his trial? I mean, if all these problems with the polygraph, he should have brought hey, that up Why didn't earlier. he say
0: that during his test one? Yeah, he said he was exactly. The polygraph.
1: Yeah, seriously. He should have said all this way, way early.
0: Correct. So... He's a liar. He's a liar, 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 liar. I cannot say this enough. I cannot stress this. Liar, liar, liar. Yep.
1: Well, and that's the consistency with all these innocence fraud cases is their stories <laughs> never make how, sense. and They never bring it up during yeah. their trial. It's always how, 25 years later.
0: And how can you tell Richard Glossop is lying? His lips are moving. His lips
1: are moving, exactly.
0: So then he gives a history of the case and he alleges that the interrogation tactics to get Justin Sneed to identify Glossop as a principal rather than a mere accessory were um, were wrong. Well, that's that's a, an issue that Snead can raise, but Glossop doesn't have any standing to raise it. Um, he says that Sneed eventually claimed the murder was Glossop's idea and he went along with it because he saw no other way out. Uh, Glossop maintains that he was never not administered a polygraph but fitted only with a simple fingertip device like an oximeter. Well, he's lying to you. If he told you that, he's lying. If Rex, if Reed Smith tells you that that's what Glossop told them, he lied to them. Um, so he has specific concerns whether a polygraph was conducted. Um, He says, Firm Smith informed Fornerat that the polygraph results were in the record and available to him to examine, um, that no ADA or defense attorney stated on the record he saw or she saw the polygraph results. It's still disputed whether a polygraph was conducted. Bullshit! Glossop says one was conducted. Period. End of story. Uh, In my view, evidence in murder cases is to be maintained in perpetuity. Apparently, the The polygraph was not maintained. It was not placed in the court record. Again, it wasn't used against Glossop at his trial. It's not relevant to his trial. Whether or not it was administered, whether or not it was accurately interpreted, whether or not Glossop could have found an expert to say he was telling the truth, all of that is irrelevant to his trial because the polygraph was not mentioned at his trial. The destroyed evidence, again, this isn't new evidence. Um, It was destroyed. It was known about before the second trial. It could have been raised at the second trial and was not raised by Glossop's attorneys. It's old news. Evidence returned to the Van Trees family. Again, old news because prior to the 2024 trial, the Glossop's attorneys found out about this and they didn't make a stink. Missing Sinclair video, again, old news, not relevant, not used against Glossop at trial, not used in Glossop trial, not referred to in Glossop trial, and we have testimony that it did not show anything but the interior of the store, and so only could have corroborated a very, very small bit of testimony from Kayla Pursley about when Sneed came in, and could have potentially... Prove that Sneed, the meth head, got the time wrong when he said he went in the store. Uh, but that wouldn't have changed the outcome of Glossop's trial. Um, failure of Glossop's 20, 2004 trial attorneys. Um, Sneed's plea agreement was used as le- leverage to compel Sneed's reluctant testimony in the 2004 t- retrial to avoid the death penalty. Based on the 2001 decision in Dyer, Sneed was entitled to a new plea agreement. Or any alternative relief from testifying at Glossop's retrial. Um, yes, and Sneed was told about that dire opinion. Uh, but really all it meant was he could have refused to testify and they could not have reneged or vacated the plea agreement. It doesn't mean that he could have gotten a new one. It only means that he could not have te- could have. Refused to testify uh, without any va- that without the original agreement being vacated. Um, he uh, found that neither Glossop's defense attorneys nor Steed's attorney challenged the post-Dyer use of the 1998 plea agreement. Um, again, that doesn't have any, it doesn't, Glossop doesn't have any standing to use Dyer. Um, and Sneed, Gina Walker, probably you know, chose not to try and use Dyer because in the end, that's not what Sneed really wanted. Um, because he knew about Dyer and he'd been told about Dyer by Birch. Uh, Sneed was compelled to appear as a witness for the state by trial subpoena. Well, yeah, your point, there is none. It has no relevance, again, to the fairness of Glossop's trial because it's not, it's not a, a violation of any right of glossops. In fact, it gives glossop the chance to impeach needs credibility. Uh, the court, the eighties and both defense attorneys, all state employees were silent in 2004, failing to make a record with respect to the plea agreement. Again, this has nothing to do with glossop. Rex Duncan potentially was not a very good prosecutor because if he thinks these are good reasons to undo glossop's conviction, he's stupid.
1: Yeah, he didn't seem to have a lot of confidence in his original case. It doesn't um, make any
0: sense. He he well and, and he's again well, no, he's he's inventing reasons based on his marching orders from Reed Smith and Don Knight.
1: Right, just to be good. Because the... he's inventing
0: the same reasons that they have raised. Yeah, and they have alleged. Um, he uh brings up the communication between Smothering and Walker following the ME testimony, which really doesn't show any change or attempt to change Sneed's testimony. Uh, again, he's repeating the allegations and speculation, uh, given by Knight regarding change. Attempts to change Sneed's um, testimony, which aren't borne out by the actual fact that Smotherman issued the memo to Walker. Walker talked to Sneed and wrote notes on the memo that may or may not have been provided to Smotherman. I think, yeah, I mean, he says the, the the memo was from Smotherman to Walker. The notes in the margin of the memo have been verified as those of Walker. So that doesn't prove any firsthand contact with Sneed by Smotherman, nor does it prove any, any effort by Walker to get Sneed to change testimony. So, um, and then violations of Brady allege a handwritten pad made during a pretrial meeting with Bill Sunday, um, told Ackley that twenty five thousand was spent on repairs and maintenance, but actually the twenty five thousand dollars was mentioned in context of hiring a painting contractor in those notes. So. Um, he says Glossop did not have access to twenty thousand twenty five thousand dollars for motel maintenance, but doesn't take into account the breadth of disrepair by the time Glossop murdered Barry Van, Van Treese or had Barry Ventrice murdered. Um, he so he's alleging that you know Van that Glossop should have been provided with these notes so they could have impeached Kenneth Treese, but it's difficult to use. Notes He could have, if Sunday testified, he could have used it when Sunday said, I don't remember, they could have used it to impeach him on that. But they couldn't have necessarily used Sunday notes to impeach Vantrese because you can't use a statement made by Sunday to impeach testimony given by Treese. Sunday's statement is based on his knowledge. Vantrese's testimony is based on his knowledge. He may not know what Sunday paid to a painting contractor. You know, so uh, it's always funny when they they say, "Well, you know, these could have been used to impeach another witness." Well, right, you can
1: ask. They wouldn't want that same standard used in trials in general, right? Because you can't,
0: right? You can't right. do that.
1: It would be unjust if if you were to apply that to other cases. They'd be outraged.
0: Yeah, and and if you try to use a statement made by Deanna. To impeach Glossop's testimony that she's not repeating a statement Glossop made. she's repeating a statement somebody else made to her. You can't do that. so um, and then failure to correct Sneed's false testimony about his medical di- condition and treatment. Now, one of the reasons that I believe Sneed could have said I didn't see a psychiatrist is because he may not have perceived his treatment in the jail by Tromka to be psychiatric. Need may have thought psychiatric treatment involves going in an office and laying on a couch and talking about your problems. And talking about your mother. Yeah, exactly. He might have thought it was just a counseling or
1: just a friend talking to him. Yeah.
0: And they may not have been. It may not have been counseling. It may have been going in. How are your moods? How is your anger? How is this? How is it, How does the medication work for you? Okay, good. You stay on it. You're done. There would be no psychiatric type. Working through the problems. It's just a band-aid on a problem. Um, and again. That's I'm speculating because I don't have Justin Sneed's mind, but why don't they go? They've interviewed Justin Steed. Why don't they go and say, well, you said you didn't see a psychiatrist. Why would you say that? Dr. Tronka is a psychiatrist. Only psychiatrists prescribe lithium. So why would you say that and find out from Steed? Why he would say, I didn't see a psychiatrist in his testimony. Um, and it's not material whether he did or didn't see a psychiatrist where he, whether he perceived tromka as a psychiatrist or not. And really, his his diagnosis is not material because it is a mood disorder. It is not except potentially in a manic state, It is not something that would have affected his testimony or his ability to perceive reality and fantasy at trial or during original events. Again, only if he's in a manic state would there be some influence on his
1: perceptions. Right. Yeah, it feels like another distraction just to say, oh, he might yeah. have some mental issue. and it, Again, it doesn't have anything to do with the veracity of his testimony.
0: Um, so and again, it, it all ties into the defense knowing who Tromka was and his diagnosis that they could have used that to impeach needs, credibility, memory, and truthfulness. But again, they did not need this note with the name Dr. Trumpet. The note does not say psychiatrist, the note does not say bipolar disorder. There's no evidence that the prosecutor ever had any knowledge or, or documents dealing with Tromka or a diagnosis of Sneed. And so they could not have provided something to the defense that they didn't have. They have a name of a doctor. And they're not responsible for investigating that and determining it's a psychiatrist and then saying, oh, by the way, defense, He's a psychiatrist. His name is Dr. Tromka. And again, I said it before, I'll say it again. The defense was always able to investigate the prescription of lithium. And all of that would have cascaded into this knowledge about seeing a psychiatrist and a diagnosis. So, again, they're claiming a violation for something that the defense could have learned independently of the prosecution or any information held by the prosecution. And that, my friends, is why none of this is Brady. Uh, And then there's NAPU allegation of not correcting the false testimony. But, uh, you know, again, that's not on the defense. I mean, I'm that's not on the prosecution to correct.
1: All right, exactly. Um, yeah.
0: And they may not have. I mean, there's nothing in the notes that says Tromka Trumpet was a psychiatrist, so maybe they didn't know that he was seen by a psychiatrist. Um, and a lot of this is based on Duncan's beliefs that are, are have been fed to him by Reed Smith, Don Knight, and probably Kevin McDougal and. Justin Humphreys, who are probably probably promising Duncan backing, and they have contributed to Duncan's campaigns in the past and will likely do so in the future. Um, and then they also are, he argues, uh, High's failure to disclose her professional relationship with Smotherman during the 2014 clemency hearing was some kind of violation, but that has nothing to do with Glossop's 2004 trial. So how it, it has anything any relevance uh, Duncan does not explain and then he uh, cites to the fact that in 2015 Knight sought Snead's medical records and didn't get them but he ignores that since 2015 Don Knight has done nothing to unseal the medical records in federal court or to pursue Snead's medical records in state court proceedings Um. And again, it's just based on his belief and his repeating the propaganda that death penalty cases must receive the greatest scrutiny of discovery compliance, erring on the side of transparency and disclosure. In my view, such was not the case herein, and too much, everything is at stake. Again, I think I've heard this from an idiot legislator or from Don Knight. (laughs) <laughs> or from
1: oh one of the, yeah, the Vitale, same talking points. Or
0: from one of the other advocates that has apparently stuck a hand up Rex Duncan's ass and is <laughs> now moving his mouth and operating his brain for him. So <laughs> anyway, uh long story short, because I'm getting tired of this bullshit. <laughs> um <laughs> Duncan recommends that Glossop's conviction Uh, should be vacated due to its decades-long failure to disclose what I believe is Brady material, correct what I believe was false testimony of its star witness, and what I believe was a violation of the rule, court-ordered rule of sequestration of witnesses. Um, The case demonstrates why withholding entire documents is dangerous, legal pads with contemporary, contemporary Contemporaneously handwritten witness interview notes are documents. Um trying any case a third time is unfortunate and rare, but I believe it's appropriate in this case. Oh my God, Rex Duncan, you are just you're so fucking transparent. Um
1: Tell us how you that, really feel <laughs> that you're you're just
0: repeating what is being told. Um, you're, you know, again, you're You know, you're just repeating what has been told to you to say by Don Knight and Reed Smith. It was not independent. It was not an actual investigation designed to get the truth. It was designed to get grounds for the attorney general to join Don Knight. Perhaps because of political pressure placed upon Gentner Drummond by Kevin McDougall and Justin Humphrey. So I'm thinking all the way around, under the surface, there are ethical violations galore between the legislative and executive branch who are also impugning the integrity of the judicial branch. And their their claims have no merit whatsoever. So uh, on April 6, three days after he gets this report, Gentner Drummond files a response in support of petitioner's successive application for post-conviction relief. He alleges that Sneed made material misrepresentations in his trial testimony regarding his psychiatric treatment and the reason for his lithium prescription, not in reality, not material. He doesn't believe Glossop is innocent. He alleges there were multiple and cumulative errors, such as violation of the rule of sequestration, which the Court of Criminal Appeals has already said no in the 2022 application. And destruction of evidence that, when taken together with sneeze misstatements, warrant a remand to district court. He denies most of Glossop's allegations of error or legal conclusions. He believes that Snead's alleged failure to testify accurately regarding his lithium prescription and treatment warrant post-conviction relief. He alleges Glossop was not made aware of Snead's treatment by Dr. Tromka at the second trial and was not aware of this until he received the prosecutor's note. But again, the defense could have investigated who at the jail prescribed lithium, why it was prescribed. And what kind of doctor prescribed it. They did not need that note. Which does not say psychiatrist. And does not say Tromka. And does not say bipolar disorder. So again. They are using something insignificant. And speculating. And making it sound. Like it's something it's not.
1: He right. Just to trying state, to make something really, making yeah, something he, sound really scary to distract.
0: Well, no, and no, and this is where, this is where impugning Connie Smotherman's integrity, comes into play as well, because they're making it sound like she hid something, that she should have disclosed, when the reality is, what she didn't disclose is insignificant and its information the defense could have determined all by itself by by investigating why sneed was prescribed lithium in 1997 by jail physicians um so the he also argued the state is not comfortable asserting that the outcome of the trial would have been the same if Sneed had testified accurately. Well, again, we don't have anything that proves that Sneed, when he said, I didn't see a psychiatrist, is a lie. Because we don't know if he knew Tromka was a psychiatrist. And he could have been impeached about that if the defense had done their own homework. Right. So uh, he falsely portrays Sneed as the state's key witness at the second trial, which isn't true because this, the key witness for the state at the trial, at both trials, was Richard fucking glossett. <laughs> they had Richard's statement yep. to Billy Hooper, Cliff Everhart, Kayla Persley, Jackie Williams, um, Tim Brown, Bemo, Cook, they had his interrogation on the 8th. They had his interrogation on the 9th. I mean, everything, every lie that he told, every false statement that he made was before the jury. Sneed's testimony was icing on the cake or the, ter- the cherry on the top of the sundae. Sneed's testimony solely provided connection between Richard Glossop and Sneed's murder of Vantrese. But Richard Glossop's statements and lies provided consciousness of guilt, which gave the jury the evidence that they needed to convict him as a principal in Barry Vantrese's murder because only a principal in a murder would hide the body for 17 hours would prevent discovery of the body for 17 hours would lie right. about seeing the victim after he knows the victim's dead
1: would yeah, lie exactly. about
0: being told the victim was killed and when right would lie yeah. about the victim's vehicle. I mean, cause he knew the vehicle was over in the parking lot.
1: Right. Yeah. Innocent people don't behave that way.
0: So, um, And um, the state believes that qualified defense attorney likely could have attacked Sneed's ability to properly recall key facts at the second trial. Again, the the defense should have done their own homework then. And it's too late to raise an effective assistance.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, The state has reached the difficult conclusion that the conviction of Glossop was obtained with the benefit of material misstatements to the jury by its key witness. If they falsely state that the competency evaluation was administered by a psychiatrist, when Dr. King was a psychologist, and again, this is where nobody has their fucking story straight because Don Knight at the clemency hearing said she was a psychologist, not a psychiatrist. So states the defense did not have the information regarding Dr. Tromka, but again, they knew he was prescribed they knew Sneed was prescribed lithium and was a fact that he testified to at the 1998 trial. Even if they didn't have King's competency evaluation, they had his 1998 trial testimony. And so they could have discovered Dr. Tromka's inv- identity and status and diagnosis all by themselves. They didn't need anything from the prosecutors. And if they if they knew that information, and they chose to let it slide when Sneed testified, then there is no violation for Richard Glossop. Because, again, they decided not to bring light to the fact that Justin Sneed has a mental disorder, has mental problems, <laughs> and is vulnerable to somebody manipulative like Glossop. Um, the state believes it must concede error under NAPCU, NAPU rather, The state feels compelled, consistent with NAPU, to correct these material misstatements and request the case be remanded to the district court. Um, They uh, also, they cite to glossop's multiple errors, uh, such as the violation of rule of sequestration and the destruction of various pieces of evidence. But both of those were already rejected by the OCCA in its 2022 application. So why the state is using that as grounds now I don't know. Maybe they're trying to supplement the cumulative um, allegations made by Glossop. Um, so the state has carefully considered the voluminous record in this case. I, I call bullshit on that one. The constitutional per- principles at stake and the interest of justice. If they considered that record, they would have known that the defense was aware of the destruction of evidence in 2003 and didn't raise it. And that the OCCA rejected Glossop's claims in 2015 and again in 2022. And they finally state the state has changed its position based on a careful review of the new information, which isn't really new, that has come to light, including its own independent counsel's review, to bring about a just result. And what they're proposing is not a just result because the majority of the fact witnesses against Glossop are dead. So the state cannot bring them to testify to the statements that Glossop made to them in 1997 while he was hiding Barry Ventress' body. Um, So it would not be a fair result. Now, um, there's a lot of talk in the court of public opinion. And the belief in the court of public opinion was that because now the attorney general says, ooh, there's error that the Oklahoma court of criminal appeals was obligated to vacate Glossop's conviction and return the case to the district court for a new trial. And another reason that this is not fair is because now the district attorney in Oklahoma County likely would not retry Glossop. They, she likely would let him go.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, there also is the fact that, according to her opinion, what he did was never principled to first-degree murder, so she would never charge him as a principal to right. first-degree murder. He would only be potentially at risk of accessory after the fact
1: right yeah in a lot of these cases right i mean you get a new da 20 years later and the da isn't you know you know the da is not really held accountable they don't have any interest in retrying these cases especially with the mounting public opinion
0: so basically and i I, and i think that mcdougall and humphrey and knight saw the fuckery that went on with adnan syed and they thought "Ooh, here's our chance so they put political pressure on drummond drummond found somebody who would who would be led by the nose by Reed Smith and McDougal and Humphrey and Knight, and who would find what they wanted to be found. And then Drummond would support vacating their original conviction or vacating this conviction. And then there would be no retrial. Glossop would go free and they would claim innocent man exonerated. Even though at most, he would be granted relief on a technicality that has nothing to do with his guilt or innocence. Um, and and they, yeah, I mean, this is they saw the fuckery that went on with Adnan Syed, so they decided fuckery can go on in Oklahoma County now as well. And um, luckily, the Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals was no Melissa Finn, and they did not play <laughs> that game. Because on April 20th, 2023, the uh, Oklahoma Court of Criminal Appeals unanimously denied Glossop's fifth application for post conviction relief, number PCD 2023 267. They denied the joint application for stay of execution and they denied. the request for a hearing and uh, discovery and they ordered their mandate issued upon delivery and filing of this decision. Now I want to go into the findings and I'm going to try to slow down a little bit. I know I tend to speak quickly and read fast, but I'm going to try and do this slowly because this ladies and gentlemen was one of the best decisions I have ever read in my 35 to 40 plus years of reading criminal appellate opinions. The court said this case has been thoroughly investigated and reviewed in numerous appeals. Glossop has been given an unprecedented access to the prosecution files, including work product, Yet, he has not provided this court with sufficient information that would convince this court to overturn the jury's determination that he is guilty of first-degree murder and should be sentenced to death based on the murder for remuneration or promise of remuneration aggravating circumstance. His new application provides no additional information which would cause this court to vacate his conviction or sentence. Glossop's request for leave to amend is not well taken because this wasn't it. He filed this application and he said he's still reviewing the shit, so he's got to He's got to amend. He wants to amend to add additional claims related to the destruction of evidence. I believe court review is limited by the Oklahoma Post Conviction Procedure Act, Title 22 OS Supplement 2022, Section 1089 D8 which provides for the filing of subsequent applications for post-conviction relief. Again, the Post-Conviction Procedure Act is not designed or intended to provide applicants with repeated appeals of issues that have been previously raised on appeal or could have been raised but were not. The court's review of subsequent post-conviction applications is limited to errors, which would have changed the outcome and claims of factual innocence. This court's rules also place limits on the raising of issues in subsequent applications. These time limits and the Post-Conviction Procedure Act preserve the legal principle of finality of judgment. This court's rules and our case law, however, do not bar the raising of a claim of factual innocence at any stage. Innocence claims are the Post-Conviction Procedure Act's foundation. Claims of factual innocence must be supported by clear and convincing evidence. Factual innocence claims are the method to sidestep procedural bars in order to present the risk of a manifest miscarriage of justice. And the evidence of factual innocence must be more than that which merely tends to discredit or impeach a witness. We weigh any evidence presented against the evidence as a whole in a light most favorable to the state to determine if Glossop has met his burden. In order to prevail on factual innocence claim, Glossop urges this court to re-examine the previous claim of actual innocence along with what he calls new evidence. The items he relies upon in this new post-conviction application do not meet the threshold showing that Glossop is factually innocent. Innocent. Melton's current affidavit is not substantially different from the one provided in 2016. Melton's recollection now is more detailed. Because the affidavit basically contains the same information available in previous application, the matter is barred under the Post-Conviction Procedure Act. We are not convinced that the affidavit shows that Glossop is factually innocent. The affidavit merely provides impeachment evidence without showing that the outcome would be different. Glossop's second affidavit is from medical doctor Peter Speth, who attempts to discredit, discredit the medical examiner's report regarding Van Treese's cause of death. Dr. Speth provided a report to Glossop's attorneys in 2015. Glossop submitted medical affidavits attacking the medical examiner in his 2015 post-conviction application. This court found in 2015 that this is a claim that could have been raised much earlier on direct appeal or in a timely original application through the exercise of reasonable diligence, that the facts underlying the claim were not sufficient when viewed in light of the evidence as a whole, to show that no reasonable fact finder would have found Glossop guilty or would have rendered the penalty of death and that Glossop has not suffered a miscarriage of justice based on this claim. There is nothing extraordinarily new in SPES 2023 affidavit. Therefore, further review of this matter is barred under Oklahoma law. Moreover, the information is insufficient to cause this court to believe that Glossop is factually innocent. The affidavits contain claims that were known or could have been developed earlier with reasonable diligence. These affidavits do not provide the clear and convincing evidence that Glossop is factually innocent. Glossop's claims that the state withheld material exculpatory evidence, but even if this claim overcomes the uh, procedural bar, The facts do not rise to the level of a Brady violation. To establish a Brady violation, a defendant must show that the prosecution failed to disclose evidence that was favorable to him or exculpatory and that the evidence was material. Material evidence must create a reasonable probability that the result of the proceeding would have been different had the evidence been disclosed. The mere possibility that an item of undisclosed information might have helped the defense or affected the outcome does not establish materiality. Glossop claims that the state failed to disclose evidence of Justin Sneed's mental health treatment and that Sneed lied about his mental health treatment to the jury. Though the state in its response now concedes that this alleged false testimony combined with other unspecified cumulative errors warrant post-conviction relief, the concession alone cannot overcome the limitations on successive post conviction review. And that is according to 22 OS Supplement 2022, Section 1089 D8. The state's concession is not based in law or fact. This issue is one that could have been presented previously because the factual basis for the claim was ascertainable. Through the exercise of reasonable diligence, and the facts are not sufficient to establish by clear and convincing evidence that, but for the alleged error, no reasonable fact finder would have found the applicant guilty of the underlying offense or would have rendered the penalty of death. Sneed in 1997 underwent a competency evaluation by Dr. Edith King, which noted Sneed's lithium prescription. This report was available to previous counsel, so counsel knew or should have known about Sneed's mental health issues. Furthermore, Sneed testified at trial that he was given lithium while at the county jail prior to trial, but he didn't know why. Counsel did not question Sneed further on his mental health condition, which counsel, counsel knew about or should have known about. It is likely counsel did not want to inquire about Sneed's mental health due to the danger of showing that he was mentally vulnerable to Glossop's manipulation and control. Moreover, and controlling here, is the fact that this issue could have been and should have been raised with reasonable diligence much earlier than this fifth application for post-conviction relief. The evidence, moreover, does not create a NAPU error. Defense counsel was aware or should have been aware that Sneed was taking lithium at the time of trial. This fact was not knowingly concealed by the prosecution. Sneed's previous evaluation and his trial testimony revealed that he was under the care of a doctor who prescribed lithium. His testimony was not clearly false. Sneed was more than likely in denial of his mental health disorders, but counsel did not inquire further. Finally, this evidence is not material under the law. The known mental health treatment evidence does not create a reasonable probability that the result of the proceeding would have been different had Sneed's testimony regarding his use of lithium been further developed at trial. Glossop next claims that the state failed to disclose that witness Kaylee personally viewed a videotape recording of the Sinclair, Sinclair stat, gas station taken the night of the murder. Kayla personally testified at trial that there were cameras at the station for the inside, but not the outside. She testified that Sneed came into the station around 2 to 2.30 a.m. No further inquiry was made about the cameras by either side during the trial. Arguably, the videotape was not disclosed to Glossop prior to trial, nor was it utilized at trial, and has not been discovered as of this date personally pri- prior to trial possibly told prosecutors that she viewed the tape to see when sneed came in the store again this issue could have been presented much earlier counsel should have known that there were cameras at the station in reading the trial's transcript and could have inquired about possible video tapes issues about missing tapes could have been raised much sooner and they were raised in 2015 Glossop has raised waived this issue for review. Obviously, the tape could have corroborated both Sneed's testimony and Pursley's testimony. Glossop offers mere speculation that the tape might have been exculpatory and cannot show that the tape was material under the law. Next, Glossop claims that the state failed to disclose details from witness statements that conflicted with other evidence. One such statement relates to the amount of money spent on repairs after the murder, Kenneth Van Trees testified that they spent $2,000 to $3,000 for repairs and the motel was in disrepair because of Glossop's negligence and rather than lack of money. Another person, Bill Sunday, possibly told Prosecutor Gary Ackley that they spent $25,000 for repairs. The amount present spent presents a conflict, but it does not help Glossop. The theory was that Glossop was negligent in his job. He expected to be fired and he chose to have Vantries killed instead of being fired. There was money spent for repairs, but got, Glossop didn't do the repairs. The contradiction hurts rather than helps Glossop. Next, Glossop cites to notes by Prosecutor Connie Pope's motherman discovered in Box 8. Glossop speculates that the notes relate to items sold by him. Glossop's theory at trial was that the money he had was from selling some of his items rather than money stolen from Bantrese in conjunction with the murder. Glossop speculates that these notes regarding amounts of money were amounts learned from Cliff Everhart. Everhart testified that Glossop sold items for around $250 to $300. The notes clear, do not clearly have an amount of money. There is no factual basis for this part of the claim. Moreover, Glossop has not shown that this information is material. Next, Glossop raises a claim regarding the now-missing Sinclair station video mentioned above. Glossop previously raised issues regarding this missing tape in case number PCD 2022-589. There is no dispute that a tape was retrieved from the Sinclair gas station or that Sneed visited the station. Sneed testified that he was there before the murder. This claim is waived as a claim regarding the missing tape could have been raised much earlier. Glossop claims that he has now learned that Witness Pursley possibly watched the video to confirm that she saw Sneed in the station at around 2.15 a.m. Glossop says the tape could have been helpful to the defense. This is far from being material. The mere possibility that an item of undisclosed information might have helped the defense or affected the outcome does not establish materiality. In Proposition 3, Glossop claims that the prosecution tried to change Sneed's testimony to include the fact that in addition to beating Vantries with a baseball bat, he also attempted to stab Vantries. Glossop admits that this claim was raised in a previous application, but he has new information to support this claim. Despite, despite Glossop's argument, this claim is substantially the same as the previous claim presented in Proposition 3 in case number PCD 2022. 819. This claim is barred under our rules. Lastly, in Proposition 5, Glossop raises a cumulative error claim combining the propositions in this application with issues raised in previous applications. Only claims argued in this application may be combined under this claim. His cumulative error claim must be de- dis- denied. A cumulative error claim is baseless when this court fails to sustain any of the alleged errors raised. Petitioner's reliance on Valdez versus State to overcome the procedural bars to claims waived or barred is likewise not persa- persuasive. None of his claims convince this court that these alleged errors have resulted in a miscarriage of justice. This court has thoroughly examined Glossow's case from the initial direct appeal to this date. We, exi- we have examined the trial transcripts, briefs, and every allegation Glossop has made since his conviction. Glossop has exhausted every avenue, and we have found no legal or factual ground which would require relief in this case. Glossop's application for post-conviction relief is denied. Neither an evidentiary hearing nor discovery is warranted in this case. Further, because Glossop has not made the re- requisite showing of likely success and irreparable harm, he is not entitled to a stay of execution. We have denied the application for relief, therefore his reasons for a stay are without merit. The legislature has set forth parameters for this court in setting execution dates and in issuing stays of execution. The joint request for a stay does not meet the standards of the statute, as this court has found no credible claims to prevent the carrying out of glossed sentence on the scheduled date. And then there was a special concern, occurrence by Judge Lumpkin, who stated, for over 20 years, the facts, evidence, and law relating to this case have been reviewed in detail by judges and their staffs through every stage of appeal allowed under our Constitution. At no level of review has the court determined error in the trial proceeding of this petitioner, nor has there been a showing of actual innocence. As this court's opinion notes, Finality of judgments is a foundational principle of our system of justice. Petitioner has received every benefit offered by our system of justice, and now his conviction and sentence are final. For these reasons and the analysis set forth in the opinion, I concur in the judgment of the court and in the denial of this application. And the mandate issued um, denying PCD-2023-289 uh, and also denying this day of execution. So, um, now I believe
1: was Kevin McGeeble
0: made some inflammatory statements in the press and the media, and I, I don't recall whether this was directly after the twenty April 20th opinion or whether it was later, but he basically claims if Richard Glossop is actually executed, He will seek to impeach every member of the Court of Criminal Appeals. Bullshit.
1: Yeah, it's like way to attack the legitimacy of the court just because you disagree with it. Yeah.
0: And and I I think really, you know, the time has come for the citizens of Oklahoma to take a good long look at both McDougal and Humphrey. Their Uh, improper actions, their unethical actions with relation to Richard Glossop's case. And to ensure that when they next come up for re-election, they are not back in the legislature. Because they're only going to do harm to the citizens of Oklahoma. And they do not care about safety of the citizens of Oklahoma. So, on April 24th, uh, the AG sent a letter to the uh, Pardon and Parole Board, basically supporting Glossop's bid for clemency based on the speculative allegations and arguments in Duncan's report and that had been rejected in the uh, Court of Criminal Appeals' opinion denying Glossop's 2023 application. Also on the 24th, Don Knight filed a petition for declaratory judgment in the Oklahoma County District Court, which was assigned CV-2023-1001, which essentially challenges the authority of the Pardon and Parole Board to conduct Glossop's clemency hearing in the absence of a full board of five members. And um, I'm not going to go through the claims or the uh, causes of action or the relief uh, requested in the original application, because it was amended um, to include additional, or to, I guess, revise his claims after the clemency hearing. Uh, the clemency hearing was held on April 26. Um, with the usual propaganda presentation by Don Knight, um, with a presentation made by Reed Smith, which Drummond, because he was supporting Glossop's clemency request, ceded his time to Glossop's advocates. Um, this was one of the most atrocious examples of a shirking of a duty by an Oklahoma attorney general that I've ever, ever seen in all of my life. Uh, because he actually, he gave his time to advocates for Richard Glossom, who then got up there and told the same lies that they've been telling since 2015. And repeating the same propaganda that the Court of Criminal Appeals has soundly rejected since 2015. Um, and the worst part is that Donna Van Tree's And members of the Trees family were forced to speak out against clemency, unsupported by the attorney general, who's supposed to be their advocate, not the advocate for the convicted killer. And Derek Trees made a a beautiful statement, and um, I'm only going to quote a part of it, uh, but anybody who didn't observe it directly... Um, There are printed versions of it available, and I would suggest that you read it in full. Um, While I agree that the state must take all reasonable action to ensure the adherence to the law, the information in the packet sent by the Attorney General to the board is simply unconscionable to me. Every item listed is rebutted by the appeals court answer. This unprecedented response shows an unbelievable level of disrespect to every person involved with this case and to our family. Enough is enough. The time is now. I urge you, I beg you to allow justice to finally be served through the word of law and the will of the people by denying clemency. Um, Richard Smotherman is married to Connie Smotherman, who was the original trial prosecutor, so he recused. So there were only four members on the board. Um, This was also kind of a blah board Because nobody sought to question Knight or the Vantrese family or Glossop, who made a brief statement, or Reed Smith or the Attorney General. Um, Everybody just kind of took in the testimony and the statements and the lies and the propaganda from Glossop's side and let it go unchallenged. Um, But when it came time to vote, the vote was two to two. Um, Glossop needed three votes. He didn't get three votes. Clemency was denied. On the 26th, uh, at the same time, proving that Don Knight does know how to do legal work and does know how to do multiple things at one time, an unopposed application seeking the stay of execution was filed in the U.S. Supreme Court to allow for... Consideration of Glossop's pending writ and to allow for filing of a writ seeking review of the OCCA's 420-2023 denial of the 2023 post-conviction application. Um, So this shows that while Glossop was pursuing the lethal injection challenge, Don Knight could have been pursuing all of these alleged post-conviction claims that he was developing. While he was writing those propaganda letters to to David Prater at the Oklahoma County District Attorney's But he chose not to do that because Glossop didn't have an execution date pending. And that's the only explanation there is. Because he's getting these affidavits and he's developing all this evidence and he's fleshing out this robbery gone wrong because he's getting the the claims that the the girlfriend was named Fancy or maybe it was Mercedes or maybe it was Sherry. But he's getting all this information, but he's not filing a post-conviction application. Right. Okay.
1: But yeah. here he's
0: got an application seeking a stay of execution ready to go when clemency is denied on April 26th. Yeah. On the 1st of of May, uh, the DA, uh, the AG filed an a response to the unopposed application, arguing that Gloss was likely to on, succeed on the merits of the forthcoming petition that the balance of equity strongly favor a stay of execution. On May 4th, Glossop filed his uh, petition for writ of certiorari, and that was assigned docket number 22-7466. Um, now, twenty two six five hundred is still pending. And in spite of having the record since February and scheduling it for conference, the Supreme Court chose to sit on their hands and just let it go because their term is over now. It's not going to be, dis- it's not going to be, uh, it's not going to be reviewed now until they come back in October. Um, But they chose not to do it. And I, I wonder if that's the liberals on the court who just kept not being ready to, to conference it. Um, because they know it's not going to be granted. So they're trying to give gloss a, a, do them a solid by making sure, well, at least at least we're going to run out this term and not do anything with it. So his second one's filed. And this is, um, I'm not going to go into the questions presented or the reasons to grant. Um, because it's it's something that I'm sure we'll talk about once ultimately, I think that the Supreme Court ultimately is going to deny cert because um the the grounds given for denial and the fact that the the claims do not meet the evidentiary standard are going to be fatal to Glossop's writs in both both claims because what he represents, the evidence as is not what the evidence actually is. And so we'll talk about that in more depth later, but for right now, he's, he's challenging the dismissal of the, um, the NAPU claims and the Brady claims related to the disclosures or the information discovered in box eight from the work product. Hmm. He also amended his petition and the challenge to the clemency hearing Um, and that was uh, amended to reflect that the hearing was held with only four members. Uh, Knight objected, but he went forward with the hearing. So um, that may prove to be a problem for him. Um, He raises several claims, and basically he wants uh, the district court to stay his execution pending a final ruling on the motion for preliminary and in- on a motion to be filed for preliminary injunction and final resolution of the constitutional issues raised by uh the court of last resort. A lot of it is just blah, 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 you know, not worth discussing. It's bullshit. Um, it's just another way to try and and basically ask a court that may not even have any jurisdiction because this is a criminal case. The only court that may have jurisdiction would be the Court of Criminal Appeals.
1: Right. It's just more distractions for the press, right? Yeah.
0: And and more propaganda. Although they're they're actually being pretty quiet about this. I think probably because they know it's bullshit. Uh, on the 5th of May, this U.S Supreme Court did stake loss of execution to give them time to to uh, review the or to dispose of the petitions in 2265227466. Um, there was an, an, a mean statement, but basically because it gave the impression that that might be done, expeditiously before May 18th, because it said, should both petitions for writ of certiorari be denied, this stay shall terminate automatically. And so that made me think, well, maybe they are going to conference it finally and they're going to dispose of it. And then May 18th came and went and they didn't. Um, So the A stay of execution from the Supreme Court was filed in the uh, district court action. It was scheduled for conference in 226500, was scheduled for conference, but was rescheduled on May 9th and no new conference date was posted. Uh, On the 23rd of May, the Pardon Parole Board filed a response or an answer to Glossop's petition. Uh, And basically they urged that it be denied um and that the amended petition be dismissed with prejudice because he was failing to comply with service requirements and failing to name indispensable parties and um asking the the a court without jurisdiction to act and um multiple things so again this is something i have a feeling we'll touch on again so we'll go into more detail later
1: right when do you think um, this is going to be resolved?
0: I think it's ultimately going to be dismissed by the district court. Um, the uh, Now, again, I'm going to go through some of the other things going on, um, and and we'll get to that in a few minutes. Um, the The AG on May 31st filed a request seeking an extension of time to July 5th to complete preparation of his response. To Glossop's 22 7, whatever, 74, whatever, 66, or whatever it is, writ, um, to address any new arguments made in amicus briefs because they knew that Amici were going to be filing briefs on June 5th. And um, so the AG, because Glossop can't necessarily respond to Amakey's points. Um, he can only respond to the, the opposition or response filed by the state. Drummond is going to respond to the Amakey briefs. Uh, and that was granted, so he's got until July 5th. That was granted on June 1st. Now, there is there were two briefs filed in support of Glossop. One was by uh, the Innocence Project, which shows, you know, that they'll take up the case of any overwhelmingly guilty person and claim he's innocent. Um, And they argue that the government's conduct of the sorts of state is acknowledged committing in this case is an overwhelming factor in wrongful convictions. And by discounting the state's confession of error, the Court of Criminal Appeals, undermined a key remedy for wrongful convictions. Now, this is something interesting, and this is something that potentially the voters of of Oklahoma might be able to take advantage of in a vote of no confidence or or a recall for getting Drummond, because by, quote, confessing error, unquote, Drummond is potentially exposing the state of Oklahoma to a wrongful conviction judgment by glossop if Glossop's conviction ends up being vacated. And that's not a good thing. So, you know, the state, uh, Oklahoma taxpayers may end up on the hook. if it, It's not going to be successful because it's bullshit, but I'm just saying. So anyway, uh, and then a group of, of law school professors, I think, filed a brief in support of Glossop's arguing that Prosecutors have an unqualified constitutional duty to correct false testimony that is relevant. Erosion of NAPU obligations would undermine the legal profession's ethical rules. And the OCCA decision is at odds with NAPU and widens confusion in the lower courts. Uh, And then finally, the best of all, an amicus brief was filed on behalf of victim family members Derek Vantrese, Donna Vantrese, and Alana Moletto, who is uh Barry Ventry's sister and the district attorneys association of in Oklahoma filed joined them in in a um an opposition to gloss's position they argued uh that uh well the question presented does this court have jurisdiction to review a state court's denial of a fifth collateral attack when that denial is based on the state's successive petition statute, the petition clearly does not meet the statutory criteria for consideration and there is no claim that the state ground is inadequate or not independent of federal law. Does the state attorney general's confession of error reopen an otherwise barred claim when the state court has already considered and rejected the claim and the confession, finding that the attorney general cannot waive state procedural rule, the evidence in question was known to the defense before trial, and the evidence is not material. And basically, they argued that the Supreme Court lacks jurisdiction because the OCCA's decision rests on adequate and independent state grounds, that gossip is clearly guilty of aggravated murder. There is no su- significant federal question of review. There is vast evidence establishing gossip's guilt beyond any any reasonable doubt. No new evidence exists and prosecutors never concealed anything. And the Attorney General's dissatisfaction with the ruling below is not itself evidence and does not warrant granting certiorari. They also argued that compounding the decades-long delay in obtaining justice will inf- inflict immeasurable harm on the Vantries family. The Vantries family is being victimized by excessive delay And research confirms that what the experience of victims makes plain. Undue delays in the administration of justice harm victims of violent crimes. And this was authored by Paul Cassell, who is a criminal justice rock star, superstar. I would love to interview him someday. Um, He has stood as the opposition to people like uh, Badu and Rattelay, who put forth a false um, wrongful conviction study Um, and he pointed out every flaw in their study and every flaw in the facts that they used to underlie or support their opinions about the ultimate guilt or innocence of the uh, cases that they they profile in that study, uh, excellent. He has to def- he has helped point out some of the flaws in application of Miranda and expansion of Miranda over the years. Um, so he has been a really a staunch victims advocate. He's also served as amicky for victims' rights and victims of crime In uh, before the U.S. Supreme Court. He was a Tenth Circuit Court of Appeal judge uh, for a time. Uh, but I think that that required him to step away from some of his victims' rights work, and he uh, elected to retire and go back to victims' rights, more hands-on victims' right, rights work. Um, So he's he's a great attorney. And there's another um, another attorney and his name is escaping me right now. He's also he's a great victims advocate. And he has produced some excellent work uh, regarding the Kevin Cooper case. And I'm so sorry. His name is escaping me right now. But he's also great. And I would love to interview him, too, especially about the Kevin Cooper case. So um, that's my my fangirling regarding the family, Vantree's family brief.
1: <laughs> yeah, the anyway, Kevin Cooper case is another interesting one.
0: Yeah. And I'll, I, I plan to day look at it. It's one, though, I think we're going to need like a month hiatus
1: <laughs>
0: to give me adequate yeah. time to go through everything because I need to create for that notes similar to what I do for all these other cases. Right. And Kevin Cooper's been going on since
1: 1985.
0: Yep. So it's going to be a major major task. I probably have to work every night during the week in addition to every weekend. Um anyway, so but we will I I will put it on the on the docket. I will put it on the docket soon. Okay, so on the 12th of June, the Oklahoma Department of Corrections filed a motion to dismiss with a brief in support in the Pardon and Parole Board Challenge case in Oklahoma County District Court. And basically, it argued that District Court does not have jurisdiction to stay in execution uh, because 22... OS section uh, 1004 states, no judge, court, or officer other than the governor can reprieve or suspend the execution of the judgment of death except the warden of the said state prison to whom he is delivered for execution in cases provided in the next seven sections unless an appeal is taken. And some of the reference conditions that can be used by a warden to stay in execution as mental incompetence or pregnancy, neither of which is applicable to Glossop, or in the context of an appeal, and then only the Court of Criminal Appeals may stay in execution date or issue any order which effectively stays in execution date per 22 OS section 1001.1c. Now, you would wonder, well, Glossop's execution date on 518 didn't go forward, so... Why would they be worried? Because the the Supreme Court stay will dissolve when his petitions are denied. And even though Gittner Drummond appears to be in collusion with Don Knight and Reed Smith and not inclined to request a new execution date and where the Oklahoma County District Attorney is not Probably inclined to request an execution date. Either the court of criminal appeals is able to set a new execution date once the uh, supreme court stay dissolves under state law. So that is why the court, the Department of Corrections, is ensuring that the court, the district court, doesn't try to issue an invalid stay of execution on behalf of Glossop. Proposition two, they argue that plaintiff's request for a stay is moot, given that plaintiff filed notice of a uh, a notice on five five, advising that his execution had been stayed by the U.S. Supreme Court, uh, and the conclusion was that the court lacks jurisdiction to stay plaintiff's execution, and the request for relief is otherwise moot, and so the action must be dismissed in its entirety, and that is the where the everything stands I checked this morning um nothing new has happened everything is awaiting determination of the writs at the US Supreme Court which as we discussed a little bit earlier will not occur until they come back in October of 2023 Kyle, the marathon is over.
1: <laughs> we was a lot of stuff out there for sure. <laughs> it, it
0: was a lot. And uh, I promise the, the I will go into more detail about the, uh, the writs at the U.S. Supreme Court. Once we have a final determination on them um and i i apologize for skipping over but i i get the sense that i'm bombarding people with too much information now and so let's have a little respite yeah it's will. very
1: detailed it's a lot of good info but yeah it's a lot to digest
0: yeah yeah and i think the biggest takeaway is um that the prosecution never concealed anything because the information they claim was concealed could have been obtained and may have been obtained. They haven't they haven't gone to Glossop's original trial attorneys and said, Hey, did you did you seek out this information and obtain it? You know? So but yeah, they um my, yeah. pardon my sipping. Um but yeah, they could have obtained this information. They chose they either chose not to do so or they did get it and they chose not to. Um not to highlight it because it made Need look more vulnerable to gloss of... than he already did. Right. And that is a valid um it's a valid strategy. So But that's do you have any thoughts, any questions, any comments?
1: No, I mean, I think it's a good, it's a lot of detail. Yeah, it'll just be interesting to how all this resolve. I mean, I think I've said it a couple of times now. I'm just, I'm amazed at how, I am mean, just generally amazed at Glossop's ability to just sort of keep rehashing the same thing over and over again and just continues to kind of clog up the courts. But hopefully this will be resolved soon. It's, he feels like he's gotten definitely more than his fair share of, you know, quote unquote justice.
0: Yeah, uh, he certainly has it. He's enjoyed 25 years of due process. And, yeah,
1: for sure. Um,
0: as we recall, and I know. Uh, thank you, Jennifer Harmon. She posted uh, the juror's letter that I read from to Governor Fallon that was uh, sent on September 14th, 2015. But I I fixed the um, the notes, and I wanted to go ahead and read the closing paragraph in full. Because I think I'd cut it off a little bit. Um, The real tragedy in all this media hype is the real victim, Barry Vantrese, and his family has been forgotten. I cannot fathom the pain and suffering this family has endured in the past eight years. The murder of a loved one, two trials, appeals, Supreme Court decisions, etc. This case has touched and impacted countless lives, including mine and all the jurors. Richard Glossop is not the victim. I am sure Barry Ventrice would have loved to have had a stay of execution, been given two or three more chances, and an extra 18 years added on to his life. He was not afforded that luxury nor given that opportunity. Richard Glossop had ha- has had his day in court twice. We did our duty. Now it is time for the state of Oklahoma to do hers. It's time justice be served. And that was written by juror number one from Glossop's second trial to Governor Mary Fallon ahead of Glossop's 2015 execution date. And in response to Don Knight's propaganda campaign um, regarding Glossop's innocence or alleged innocence. So and that, I think, is a, a good point to close um in Yeah, absolutely. It's
1: hard to say it better than that. That was perfect.
0: At the end of the day, the only victim in this case is Barry Ventrice and by extension, Barry Ventrice's loved ones, his wife Donna, his son Derek, his other sons and daughters, whom he had seven children. Um he had two who were very young, one of whom begged him not to go to Oklahoma City that day.
1: Yeah.
0: Which is heartbreaking. His sister, Alana, his brother's Ken. I know Ken's name. Um, Unfortunately, I don't know that I know all the siblings' names. Um, I believe his parents were, or at least his father was still alive at this time. So, I mean, he had a huge family. He had grandchildren. He had grandchildren he's never met because he was taken. Um, So they are the only victims. Richard Glossop is not a victim. Kenneth McDougal, Kevin McDougal is not a victim. Justin Humphreys is not a victim. Don Knight is not a victim. Amy Knight is not a victim. Reed Smith is not a victim. They are advocates for Richard Glossom. They are lying. They are spreading propaganda. They are telling you things, say something they don't say. You know, documents say what they don't say. And uh, it needs to stop. It needs to end. I am all for due process but not telling the same lies to a court time and time again solely to prevent justice from being administered to your client. There comes a time when it has to stop. And hopefully this next execution date for Richard Glossop will be the one that goes forward because there will not be, more collusion with his advocates by representatives of the state of Oklahoma. Or Gettner Drummond will finally come to his fucking senses and take his head out of his ass and go ahead. And now that he's been soundly rejected by the U.S. Supreme Court to say, okay, time to stop fucking around and let's do it.
1: Yeah, very well said. So. All
0: right. Well, let's go ahead and uh call it an afternoon. This is an extra long show by the way. We're yeah, at 3 no, hours now. A,
1: yeah, you put a lot of work into it, so I know the listeners will really appreciate that. Very very thorough.
0: And and I hope time flew for everybody because it sure <laughs> did for me.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. Well, everybody take care to have a happy uh, 4th of July and a happy Independence Day.
0: Yes, definitely. Thank you for listening to Based in Fact, a true crime podcast with Lisa O'Brien and Kyle Evans. If you like the show and want to know more, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, find us on Facebook, or follow me on Twitter at O'Brien L. Ann. Kyle and I plan to record a bonus episode addressing the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals' recent denial and dismissal of Rodney Reed's dash 10 and dash 11 post-conviction claims, Issued on June 28, 2023. Then we hope you'll join us in two weeks for episode nine Oklahoma versus State Anthony Sanchez. In July 2004, Sanchez was linked to the December 20, 1996 kidnapping, rape, and murder of Oklahoma University graduate Julie Buskin via a cold case DNA hit. We'll talk about the evidence against Sanchez, his trial, direct appeal, and state and federal post conviction claims. Including his, reach, including his recent actual innocence claim, pointing the finger at his deceased father, Glenn Sanchez, who allegedly admitted to that he was the real killer in statements he made between 2020 and his 2022 suicide. Until then, have a great week, two weeks, have a happy and safe 4th of July, and just stay safe.